0: Two kids. You a I wish I knew how to quit bought. There's nothing like hope. I'm
1: gonna make them all the gallery. Have we seen our favorite film of the year so far? Perhaps. Regardless, this is our Dune. Cue the music. Hey, everybody, welcome to Gone with the Wind, the show about award shows where we talk about, you guessed it, award shows. I'm your host, Manning Franks, and I am with, uh, well, one regular panelist and one special guest. But before we get to our special guest and talk about the movie that, uh, well, thankfully, its box office has been better than expected. I just looked that up, and I'm very <sighs> excited. Um, but we have a regular panelist in Dan, the man, Skip Allen.
0: Yeah, you know, I know I see these movies early, And sometimes I see him in the theater and sometimes I pay to go see him. And sometimes I don't pay to go see him. So I'm just glad the box office is good for this because I've paid, not paid to go see this uh, three times.
1: (laughs) i i I paid to see this in imax on thursday night because i wanted to see this in imax because i feel like that was the best the best thing to see is the format to see it in um because it was incredibly immersive but before we talk about what movie we're talking about we're talking about dune obviously before we get into the discussion of that as you can see by the title of the actual uh, (laughs) um the actual episode so i hope you're clicking on this if you're not what are you doing We have a special guest here today that I have reached out a while ago, and I'm glad and really, really happy that we were able to make this schedule work because I know his schedule is all over the place. So I'm happy he was able to get up super early to be able to discuss this with us. In fact, we were recording earlier than our regular time because I wanted to be able to get his thoughts and opinions upon there because he is an incredible voice when it comes to film dissection in the community. I've known him for years. Roman, welcome, sir.
2: Glad to be here. Um. Yeah, I'm just pretty pumped to talk about Dune. I've been kind of like I've been writing, obviously, a couple of my review and my essay on some other things. And I've just been like, man, I just want to vocalize this. I have vocalized it to Joanne, my fiance and my brother and some coworkers. And it's just not the same. I just want to do it in front of a microphone with a headset on for however long and just talk about why this movie just is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic.
1: Oh, for so. sure. It is one of those movies that has stuck with me. I've watched a little bit on it. Again, I've watched a little bit on HBO Max today just because I wanted to see it. It's not the same. It's definitely not the same. Not the no, same. But <laughs> I still from I still enjoy it immensely, and I want to see mm-hmm. it in theaters again. And I never, I have never seen a theater tw- theater. Wow, that's let me rephrase that. I have never seen a movie twice in theaters this year yet. This might be the first time that I do that because it's just such a visceral experience that I had.
2: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm definitely considering it. Um, movie ticket prices are definitely jumping up more and more out here. They. I used to go to the movies for like $10, $11, and now I'm going for like $14,
0: $15. And I was just
2: like not breaking the bank or anything, but it's just, I mean, I want to see it in the Cine Capri because I couldn't go to see it in IMAX because all the IMAX showings and seats were sold out. Thank goodness. Jeez. Um, But I saw it in the Cine Capri, which is pretty close. You just don't get the IMAX ratio, but you get the Dolby Atmos sound and a really big screen. Um, and some pretty good presentation of the curtains drawing over and the, the lights and everything. And it's super cool. So nice. it was a fun hey, experience.
0: On a, on, a, on a side note, do you have AMC theaters in uh, Arizona?
2: I do. They're kind of out of the way, though. And uh, oh, I right. loathe their popcorn tremendously. So I can't go. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> well, I don't eat popcorn. So I guess that <laughs> does me great. Because it down. Do probably three Hold on. Week. Wait, Dan, you don't eat popcorn? No, I don't eat popcorn because I don't want to fill up on popcorn. I want to fill up on steak, pork chops, chips. Well, you can do both. What? you can do both. Whatever, not peripheral food like candy mm. and popcorn and junk like that. I want so a Popcorn nice is a religion,
1: is part of the religious experience of going to even if theater. you don't, it don't eat it, you online. have to
2: buy it. Yeah, to the help the movie small. theater
1: out. Help the movie <laughs> theater experience out, Dan. Buy their popcorn since apparently the movie theaters get the majority of the ticket sales. So yeah, that's- I found that out and my mind was blown. Thirty
0: three point three percent of the ticket sales go to the theater and thirty three go to the production company.
1: There you go. So well, the more you the the more you know. But no, I I love getting me a bucket of popcorn before a movie. Um, uh, that's just what I do. You don't get too much butter though, because too much butter sometimes messes. I don't know. I With don't your get-
2: tummy and yeah on the toilet pretty quick yeah
1: oh yeah there, there's something about movie theater butter it's just not not it's something different <laughs> something different with that butter mm-hmm. um anyway this is not the popcorn gum the wind podcast of awards i don't know we always, um, get this, we always end up on some side
0: t- tangent don't we Manny?
1: we do but you're the one who said you don't eat popcorn so i, ne- I needed to call that out just because i'm shocked i just didn't know this haven't. i rarely years. eat
0: popcorn i do eat okay. popcorn it's very rarely
1: Okay. Well,
0: regardless, this
1: episode today we are going to dissect and talk about all things doing But before that, before we do that, Roman, tell me a little about yourself as someone in this film space.
2: Oh man, well, uh, how far do you want me to go back? I can go back to. the winter soldier and chronicle everything up until this point in just every single cliff notes what page i was in what page people wanted to kick me out of and yelled at me for and all this other stuff no
1: give me the give me the give me the uh, give me the spark notes but also the detailed spark notes
2: in between well you know just kind of started with man of steel and prisoners actually um just two movies that really just kind of connected with me in a weird way because we we always love watching movies growing up but you don't really love them until you fall in love with one where you're like, man, I want to know more about how to watch movies. And those were two of them. And then I started just kind of pursuing writing about film with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. That movie did a lot for me. So I was like, you know, I had a lot more to say about this movie than I thought. And then I kind of detailed it. I started watching interviews and reading essays from other people. And then after that, it sort of just really kind of went above and beyond with Man, 2016 with Arrival. That's a big one. My favorite movie of all time. Um, I've watched it like three times this year already, and it's it's tremendous. And obviously, I wrote about it a little bit in, in an essay I had dropped this weekend of Denis Villeneuve Borders about what his films are about and how he continues to make his films about Borders. And you know, D- Dune is kind of like that as well. Um, and yeah, now it's just kind of like, do I want to be a filmmaker? Do I want to be a screenwriter? Do I want to just be a film critic? I don't know, but it's just kind of, um, just an interesting career path that you know, when I tell people about it, you know, at my job, I'm like, well, I like doing this job, but I want to do what's next. Um, and that's right about film and talk about film forever because I just think there's there's so much to just dive into just in terms of not just what you can learn about your life, but hundreds of other people. I mean, I, I've and they say this about stories all the time, not just with movies, but with books, with any art in general, is that you know, you can walk one you know path in your lifetime, but reading books and indulging in art is walking the paths of thousands of people um so and that's what kind of film does for me and i'm just uh yeah i just love it to pieces obviously yeah it just does a lot for me
1: that's that i i have i feel like i've heard that but hearing you say that again is just so true and just kind of speaks to the volume of what film can do um Mm -hmm. and what you know what what it speaks to what Film can represent for so many people by bringing voice to the voiceless or letting a voice be heard by a multitude of other people, and I'm, that is an excellent way to describe it. Very, um, uh, but also personal, but also universal is what filmmaking is. It's personal, but it's also for all who can witness.
0: Of yeah, course. you know that passion, that passion that I hear from uh, Roman's voice, Manning It just reminded me of myself when I was young, and you know uh, when I was watching roger ebert and uh, gene siskel and uh watching some of my great favorite filmmakers growing up as a kid uh francis ford coppola martin scorsese steven spielberg Sidney lumet you know these guys and saying i wanna i wanna watch their filmography and then mm-hmm. wh- who are those actors in those movies al pacino robert de niro <laughs> jack Nichols, you know henry fonda and And then that just spawned myself over the years, becoming a film pundit and a film critic myself. So it's, it's great to hear that that kind of stuff from a young guy like uh, Roman. It it really is uh, fantastic to hear stuff like that.
1: Well, we are here because we love movies and we love talking about (laughs) movies. Um, And first off, I did not know arrival was your favorite film of all time. I know you loved arrival, but you're wow.
2: Yeah, man. It, I remember seeing it in theaters and just at the end looked at my brother and my fiance and I was like, that was really good, but I didn't expect it to be as deep as it was. And then the end, yeah, it kind of just hits you with something. And then I rewatched it and rewatched it. And now my reading on the film is just that it is the embodiment of movies. And I have that in my essay that Denis Villeneuve essay. And, you know, Manning, you mentioned that you're still reading a little bit of it. Uh, So I won't spoil that essentially because i think that it kind of like was an epiphany for me at one point where yes. what this movie is about is so much more than what uh, you can kind of perceive it as and i think that uh yeah everyone should kind of give that another look if they haven't recently
0: you know oh, like, it's absolutely. funny you say that about arrival you know i love i'm a poster collector if you haven't guessed
1: <laughs> uh, there there are posters for all those who are there are posters behind dan every episode
2: thousands I, of them
0: I, I went out of my way i was Going, I was looking everywhere. I was trying to go to the theaters. And I need as many of the arrival posters as you, as you can get. Needless to say, I got zero. I could not <laughs> find any arrival <laughs> posters. I wanted like the the one in Tokyo. I wanted the one in wherever. I just was like, I was like, that'd be so cool just to have like a backdrop of like a bunch of the arrival posters. posters. Places, you know? Why are they Why? here? Yeah. I never got any. I never got. I didn't even get the one from Montana. You know? <laughs> Those are so cool, right? They did one for every city that those those pods were in.
2: Yeah, those oh, really. Yeah. yeah, they did.
0: And I'm like, damn! Wow. Can you imagine if I had like the backdrop of my wall when I did videos, of all the arrival posters? It'd be kind of cool, right? Nah, that I would actually had, like, be really cool. Zero, zero.
1: I mean, I'm sure they they cost a pretty penny out there now, somewhere on eBay. Oh, yeah, I bet, I bet. Um, but regardless. We all love movies and we're here to talk about one movie in particular that we all I'm pretty sure from talking us all individually, we are all incredibly positive on. Um, There is like if we have complaints, they are minuscule because I'm pretty sure either of us are four and a half stars or five stars out of five, because that's how much we love the movie. Prefacing that right now, um, we'll, we'll come at it with a critical eye. But you're going to hear us gush about it a lot because we immensely enjoy it. But before we get into Dune, specific, specifically, specifically, um, I want us to talk about what have we seen this week, uh, be it in movies, uh, television? What have we been consuming recently when it comes to um, uh, the theater experience or even the home experience? Uh, Dan, what have you seen? Well, besides I mean, Dune, of course, I always have to say that besides the movie we're talking about.
0: Yeah, um, I did spend a lot of time seeing Dune this week. No, uh, you did. and last week. Uh, no, you, you no. Uh, I actually saw one of my most anticipated movies of the year from the previous year. We're going to say that a lot on this podcast this year because <laughs> we're getting a lot of movies from the previous year that were supposed to be out. Fair. Now they're out this year. And one of those movies is called The French Dispatch, uh, Ooh, directed by okay. Wes Anderson. And I'll tell you what. Oh, my God. You want to talk about the cast and Dude? How about the cast in The French Dispatch? This Big is cast. an amazing cast. Timothy Chalamet is in this as well. Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Frances McDormand, Bill Murray. I mean, Leah Sidu a very short Saoirse Ronan. Uh, I mean, it's a who's who of actors and actress. Benicio Del Toro. I mean, amazing cast in this. How he was able to get all these people because they all wanna work with Wes Anderson. That's the reason why they put they, they get paid scale when they work with Wes Anderson, because they all wanna work for the great Wes Anderson. The other thing, you wanna talk about set production? Oh my God, there's so much nuance in detail. You're just looking in the background. You're just looking around at stuff because you're like, how does this guy do it? it I mean, there's so many little things, that are nooks and crannies that are going on in the French dispatch. It's, it's basically three stories about three different writers that work for the French dispatch and kind of their, like their meanderings and going about mm-hmm. writings of different stories that their writings and stuff. And, uh, Bill Murray is like the editor of the, of the magazine and it's in France. Um, obviously I know you guys are probably a Wes Anderson fans, or I hope you are. You're going to see this movie, so I don't want to give anything away. But um, there's a couple people I think could get Jeffrey Wright, uh, Benicio del Toro, I like. A lot of people are poo pooing on on Timothy Chalamet. I didn't think he was bad. Oh, they are? Hmm. Yeah. Some people are poo pooing on him. I I don't think his arc is that bad because he's got Francis McDormand in his story. Uh, But awards, you're going to see some costumes. Uh, You're going to see some uh back set production that sort of stuff maybe a script but i i kind of doubt it it's a Mm -hmm. little it it, it's kind of inside baseball if you're a wes anderson fan because he kind of does stuff he like goes to the next level of wes anderson you know
1: that's what i've heard mostly from people they're saying this is this is a very this is a very wes anderson film it's yeah. very Wes Anderson, oh, even yeah. more so than some other ones in the past. Like for me, you you asked and said, "I want to hear Roman's thoughts about this as well too." I not, I'm guessing the two of us haven't seen it, correct? Right, Roman? No, sir. Okay, there we go. That was a very <laughs> that was a very declarative, no, sir. <laughs> um, but I think he is an interesting filmmaker. By interesting, I mean he has a distinct vision, and I appreciate his distinct vision. It is very, it is it is very Wes Anderson, and in fact, I think that's almost a. A verb or adjective? Yeah. Excuse me. It's Wes Andersonisms, or um. <laughs> yep. And I love the Grand Budapest Hotel. I think it's very smart writing. That's one of my favorites from him. Um, or also Moonrise, Ray Fox really King just of- steals oh,
0: that movie.
1: Love Moonrise. So cool. Um, Moonrise. I th- like Moonrise. Fine. And I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is another great one. I genuinely love the stop motion vision that he created. I am not the biggest Wes Anderson fan of like, I'm going to go out and watch his stuff. I appreciate him. He's an, he's a he's an, he's an Artur that I appreciate, but he's not one that really connects to me personally, wow. because I feel, wow. I feel like, cause I feel like he kind of puts, this is not the Wes Anderson. I'm not going to talk too much about this, but I feel like he is, I don't know how to describe this, but he definitely feels very. It's almost like he is not trying too hard. Uh, Roman, you look like you're similar to this. Can you put into words what I'm trying to say?
2: Well, you pretty much hit on the three that I was going to mention. I love Grand Budapest. I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. Moonrise is okay. And then every time I start one of his other movies, I can't finish him or I don't like him at all. Um, And he's just a very distinct filmmaker to the point where it's like yeah i can appreciate him because i think it's awesome that we have a guy that can just make shots so symmetrical and are beautiful i mean his his movies look stunning and all that jazz i I don't mind him um but for the most part it's just kind of like yeah he doesn't really do much for me i love the big cast but i'm also not a big bill murray guy i get it he's also a cubs fan and he's awesome he's a great (laughs) fan but it's just there's more to that and um yeah he just (laughs) doesn't really do much for me as a storyteller and as a filmmaker outside of the fact that you know if i could Take almost any other director's storytelling and put them in his sets, I think you'd have the best director of all time.
1: Wow. Well, mm, that is a statement. Oh, yeah. See, um, yeah, no, I'm excited though. I'm excited to, to see it because I'm curious because it's a, it's a great cast. And especially yeah. because it's, 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 um, distinct into three separate stories you said it's three correct yeah yep i'm curious to see how that plays out i'm curious if anything else to see it
0: that's my big thing and the the french connect the french dispatch building and offices is like a is like a framing device of the uh of of the stories so i it it cuts back to that between stories and stuff
1: which I actually may you mentioned, Roman, like you've never been able to finish the one the one film that I've never been able to finish from him is the Life Aquatic. Just saying that out there. I have oh, never finished it. Out
0: there. I've, I've
2: never I finished watched it. that one, but that was not an easy one to finish. I didn't finish Royal Tenenbaums. Can't do oh, it. I love
0: Royal Tenenbaums. I one can't do it. so funny. Can't do it. The banter oh. between Gene Hackman and, and uh, 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 Danny Glover is, oh God, off the wall.
1: I might see for Gene Hackman alone. We'll see, but I've not seen Royal Tannenbaums. But
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, he's, oh, Gene, Gene Hackman's great, but Ben Stiller's great. Gwyneth Palcho's great in it. I mean, there's a lot of really good performances in Royal Tannenbaums. Uh, another one I saw, another director that's made some really good movies in the past, about four of them. And this is this first uh, foray into horror is called Antlers uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro but directed by Scott Cooper, starring Carrie um, Russell and Jesse Plemons. Wow, what a new vision of horror this is. Um, it's moody. It's set in Oregon. It, You know, the cold and the dampness of Oregon really plays into the, the overall mood and in, in the, the setting of this movie. And I'll tell you, there's a little kid in it. His name is Jeremy T. Thomas. I put this kid on the level of Haley Joe Osment in The Sixth Sense, and Jacob Tremblay in Room. You're going to remember wow. this kid when you see this movie. This kid was scary and haunting in a in like a weird kind of way because he's just kind of playing a kid that goes to school and goes home, and but he's got this secret. And I'll tell you, <laughs> wow. That yeah, I really, really enjoyed Antlers a lot. I'm hoping that people have a chance to see this and really embrace this like I did
2: yeah i uh, saw the trailer for that for the first time i think i may have saw, saw it before but it feels like a trailer i saw like eight years ago and the movie like never came oh, yeah. out and now it's like here um but no i went to see a movie with my brother and then afterwards we were like man that looks really good um and with you know Guillermo, you know producing and kind of having his hands in it you know that's pretty exciting and yeah it definitely just looks like an interesting mood piece plus jesse Plemons is in it and he's in everything and he's great in everything and um he should be in every movie ever ever made (laughs) um especially for the frito-lays joke from game night man it's just an iconic line now at this point so yeah antlers i'll probably check it out i don't usually do horror in theaters just because i feel like i have a bad experience almost every time um but we'll see
1: uh which is funny like jesse Plemons. like i've even in i i hate jungle cruise this past year I loved watching Jesse Plymouth just no. do his thing. Oh, he's he is he is a, he is is a a uh, absolute hoot. There is something about him where he's just shooting the scenery. Jesse Plymouth is a great actor,
0: especially... He's got, Go ahead. He's got a big role manning in uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm so well. excited for that.
2: Don't even get me started. Don't oh, even get I won't get you started. started. I, mean.
1: <laughs> I won't get you started. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that Scott Cooper is... I have not seen Out of the Furnace, but I think Hostiles is... An a criminally rated film. I think it is a movie that is, it is, it is was missed by a lot of people. It came out at a really poor time, January. but you know, oh Rosamund Pike mm-hmm. is great. Christian Bale is, well, he's usually always great. Um, <laughs> but it is, it is just, West Judy is also really good in it as well. Uh, it is a very, um, dark but also intimate film that takes place over the american west it's it's vastly it's told in like this beautiful you know these beautiful landscapes um it's large it feels open but intimate at the same time like there's so much going on around but you never really leave the small close band of people in their objective to get um um character to um uh safety um but it's really good i highly recommend people haven't seen hostiles i love it so much um, and I
0: like like uh, Johnny Depp was great in uh, his Whitey Bulger and Black Mass. I'll tell you what, but this is no. and I'll tell you what his dramatic chops really lend themselves perfectly for a horror movie. Um, Scott Cooper, I can't oh, I exactly. can't wait for what he's got next. Down the pipe. you know.
1: Oh, is it is it uh, preface? Is it a very gory film? It looked quite that. I I'm I'm very bad with gory.
0: <laughs> it's blood. There's blood in there. There's blood in there. I'm not gonna say how gory it is or how not okay. gory it is but you know it's a horror anything movie body horror right? it's a horror movie <laughs> slash sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. see
1: I can take Midsommar something like that and I love that but when it comes to anything where you have body horror I'm just kind of like yeah this, this, is,
0: this is a scene where a guy comes out of his own skin and the, the husk of the skin is left there and it's pretty Oh, okay. well, I'm definitely gonna
1: probably see this like Roman uh, later <laughs> when I actually get a chance to rent it or something. You'll see I it at home yeah. when I
2: can cover my eyes and not have to, I, pay yeah, to do mean, that.
0: Man, next week when when we do the show next week, hopefully by then you will have seen Frank's Dispatch and Antlers, and then you can discuss them on the show. And you say, Dan, da, 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 da. you would be chastised me or something.
1: Let's oh, hold my, let's close my eyes the entire time. Uh, antlers and there, there's any body horror. But um, uh, anything else you saw, Dan?
0: Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I've seen some other things, but I'm just kind of leave it at that.
1: Perfect. And Roman, have you, as our guest, what have you seen and watched this past week that really stuck out to you? Or
2: well, out? I kind of had to keep it a little brief on what I could watch this weekend just because, oh, yeah. you know, I was preparing for Dune. Um, So I watched Sicario and Arrival and Prisoners, Um, but just as something a little different, I've been working on getting through the universal classic monster movies uh, through uh, the Criterion channel, and I'm about halfway through now, I just finished watching uh, The Black Cat, which is like one of the first like Hmm. occult horror movies with like really interesting set design, and it's got Bella Lugosi and uh, Boris Karloff, and they're fantastic in it, especially as a duo, their first time on screen together. I mean, the movies aren't like brilliant or anything outside of The Invisible Man, which just might be one of my favorite horror movies of all time. The way that the special effects still hold up and how kind of a a dark comedy it is and just the black and white contrast, everything. It's I've had a lot of fun going through those just to kind of see how and there we go, how horror has evolved over the years and how they used to be so silent and so specific and kind of let its space and its set sort of be horrific instead of just loud noises like we have now and scary faces so um, yeah not much but um, on the TV side of things I'm working my way through the for the first time through Neon Genesis Evangelion which has surprised the absolute hell out of me Um, and I knew you're gonna be a big fan of that I did not expect to love this show I'm about 12 episodes in I haven't been able to chip away at it because again I've been working on some essays and working on some of my writing this week um, and that, that turned out great so I'm gonna get back to it this week and probably finish that show and watch the movies because I'm not a big anime guy. Um I've said that before, but this show is doing wonders for me. It's just checking every box and apparently it gets even more crazy by the end. So I'm pretty excited to see oh, where yeah. that goes.
0: Um that was your jam. That video I watched <laughs> that video that you did. Thank you. That was <laughs>
1: Neon Genesis Evangelion to me is a beautiful, again, I I agree. I like anime. Um, I will watch it if I know that. I don't like the tropes that come with usually traditional anime, but when it comes to particular Neon Genesis Evangelion, I won't spoil anything, but um, it is just truly a beautiful dissection upon trauma. Uh, upon a a dissection of what it means to go through these, these specific relationships in life. uh, And, but while having, while having this backdrop of just pure uh, chaotic, apocalyptic into the world, larger than life robots, mechs fighting each other with these angel beings, but it's an intimate story at at its heart about uh, a child and those around him and using, you know, having a coming of age story with these children um and it it, it is a it is a yeah uh, Hideaki Anno is just I can't de- de- describe describe it and praise it enough with what he was able to do with Neon Genesis
2: yeah I saw um his Shin Godzilla movie in prep for Godzilla vs mm-hmm. Kong earlier this year and everyone was like well if you love that you'll probably love the show because it's a lot of the same stuff and I'm seeing that it's all about like this bureaucratic just nonsense like and it's insane how much guillermo del toro was inspired by this show considering pacific room is a lot in common with yeah, it in but, some regard not every aspect but some and uh yeah i'm definitely i wouldn't consider myself a fan yet but i'm definitely like watching it every week right now and just being like wow this is awesome this is genuinely I, very good
1: and i will also preface this by saying you said you're going to watch the movies, but make sure you watch end of Evangelion um, at the very end. Um, I think it's a better capstone than the last. I think it's the two episodes. One, episode, I think I it's 25 exactly. and
2: 26, I think, is what everyone's been telling me. Yes. Uh, a couple people have been messaging about it. So, yeah, that's what I hear.
1: Please watch end of Evangelion before you have a wrap up, because I, I personally am much. I love it. The last two, I understand what they might have been going for. Don't care for them. So all I tell you is definitely watching end of Evangelion to get a nice wrap up. Of everything, um, but yeah, um, in the meantime, uh, what I myself, well, first off, Aroma, anything else you have seen?
2: No, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, just some Denis Villeneuve, some horror, and awesome. some Neon Genesis. So, it's pretty much it right now.
1: What a what a eclectic collection of films! I love it.
2: Yes, very different, all <laughs> very, yeah. very different.
1: Oh, fantastic. Um, so for me uh most of what i was watching consisted of dune i yeah. watched dune and I, i'll watch it one and a half times because i watched it on hbo max which i preface by saying um it doesn't hit as well as movie theaters but not saying it it still hits wonderfully just from a standalone film but there is something that is missing as much theatrical experience we'll talk about that later uh i finished and i devoted my time this week to finishing Uh, because it was a busy week for me, I did it and I finished Squid Game. Finally, I finished Squid Game and I think while it is an an uneven series, I think it is really creative and I appreciate directors and writers and just creative artists who are well creative they actually have some creativity and some ingeniousness that is put inside their stories it's a contained story but it has a larger uh question mark when it comes to um uh again i won't try to spoil too much but when it comes to the idea of examining capitalism uh which we love good dissection of capitalism (laughs) uh especially from the south never gets old and it's, it's from a south korean lens obviously but it has a universal feel when it comes to questioning okay uh when it comes to the power dynamics and also when it comes to when people are at their lowest and they're willing to do whatever they need to what are they capable of yeah. and it does that through a way that is very succinct each episode is almost um, um it's not every time but it consists of this is this task this is this task but each game consists of an episode give or take And by the end, by the end of the series, you see the larger scale of what they were trying to accomplish of, oh, this is this is what the squid game really was. You kind of get the idea of what they're going for, but it confirms it near the end. Um, I will say in preface, though, they really leave you hanging for season two. And I don't appreciate that. Give me some sort of finality while teasing some things out instead of being like, yep, here's season two.
2: We're we're coming next week. Sounds like Dune.
1: (laughs) exact we'll get into that in a sec
2: actually my uh... my
1: one possible my my one possible critique of the film we'll see
2: um Um, yeah I'm two episodes into squid game um haven't been able to chip away at it much just because I've been watching neon genesis and some movies and some writing and I might work a little bit on that tonight I've been watching it with Joanne um as much as we can and yeah I've definitely noticed like it's got all of those undertones in there plus with you know social media kind of exclaiming that um Mm -hmm. And uh yeah, I the second episode in particular actually kind of stood out to me where, you know, the sh- show is, you know, built around being marketed as this like show like a game show, but it like kills people, blah, blah, blah. But what I loved about the second episode is it has nothing to do with actually physically being a part of the game and mm-hmm. trying to keep it as limited as spoilers as possible. But what they go back to in, in their home life is essentially the same thing as what they're going to be enduring in the game. So they kind of realize like. Would I rather be doing this and not potentially winning any money, or going to risk it all to win it all? And uh, I I think that's really fascinating and really uh, interesting way to convey that because you know the game. What I notice is like really bright poppy colors of pinks and greens and yellows, and then back in at home it's just all kind of dark moody rainy factories and mechanical garbage and yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting how they've kind of built it up and the fact that it's netflix's most popular show like ever it seems like or sounds like um and plus for a korean you know film and cinema and shows that's really important to me especially because with parasite launching a couple years ago and just absolutely taking the world by storm you know it's i think we're kind of seeing a changing of the tide here and what people are willing to watch and i think squid game is a really good indicator of that
1: that two-inch tall barrier, as uh, Bong Junho says,
2: yeah, um, it's getting ready to be toppled.
1: I, I, agreed. Um, but no, I also wanted just want to comment again. You had mentioned specifically the bright colors that are used to illustrate this these childlike games, and it, it's a beautiful contrast between what they're actually doing. Yeah. Um, it's 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 disturbing, but in a way that's kind of like you can't take your eyes away from because it's just so aesthetically uh, uh, interesting to watch and again uh, it, when you get into more that 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 dynamic continues as you go into each particular game um and it's just really fascinating um but yeah though that's what i've been kind of uh, honing in on but i was hoping it'd be the first 30 minutes and i'm glad we were able to get all that stuff in because now the rest of the hour we're gonna be talking about is dune Frank Herbert's dune not Franks, like my name says, um, but, ladies and gentlemen, this is a movie we have been waiting for for quite some time. Um, I don't remember if this is this has not been delayed as much as I believe as like No Time to Die has, which is one of the no, first movies. I know this was ten months. Okay, ten months, specifically, yeah. I don't know the, the precise amount of time because No Time to Die was over a year and a half. Um, mm-hmm. So this is was two years. <laughs> almost, yeah, almost two years. Um, I mean, but that's taken to fact again, as we talked about two weeks ago. Danny Boyle switching with Kerry uh, Fukunaga. Um, but this one, Denis Villeneuve's Dune, is a film we've been waiting for for quite some time, based upon um, the film, the, the the book of the same name back in the '60s that it came out. I have had no prior experience to Dune. I have never seen the original uh, David Lynch Dune. I have never read the book. I have All I know really is there are sandworms, Spice, and that fear is the, is the mind killer. Um, that's all that I know. Um, that's literally all I knew about it going into this outside of the fantastic trailers that we've seen. And finally, after waiting for so long, we have been given Dune. The hype is real, ladies and gentlemen. I saw it in theaters in IMAX. And in this movie... Timothy Chalamet, as Paul Atreides, takes us on this journey into the planet uh, Arrakis, um, and Arrakis is this barren wasteland uh, that the Furmen live, which are the natives of this planet, but there are some spice in the air that helps with interstellar travel. You can't get anywhere and connect space without this spice. And there is some great exploration as this. We have these intimate stories that transpire with Paul and his relationship with his mother, his father, his name, his destiny, but also <laughs> at the same time, the political turmoil that is going on behind the scenes in the backdrop of everything. Is this, in fact, a part one? Yes. They did really good in hiding <laughs> the fact this was a part one because they don't tell you until right you get sit down, sit your butt down in that theater, and you see part one underneath Dune. And I'm like, smart, very smart. But ultimately, <sighs> We get a complete story when it comes to his character or a nearly complete story, if anything, of Paul Atreides and where his vision or his visions will be going and ultimately his journey will be going. But Dune to me is a film that we've been I know we've been waiting for for some time. And before we get into our uh, my direct thoughts, I would love to hear um, uh, Roman as our guest. Would you like to start on your thoughts on what Denis Villeneuve's adaptation of Dune did for you? And was it worth the wait?
2: So when I woke up on Thursday morning, I was just absolutely ecstatic just because I haven't been this excited for a movie. And since last Jedi Batman V Superman, like to the point where I was like, that's oh, all wow, I could think wow. about. I just want to be sitting in the theater. Cause you know, I've I've anticipated movies, but not to the point where it felt like I was getting ready to go see an event, something that I just really couldn't wait to see, like come to the screen and feel like I was there with a bunch of people. And what was so interesting is all these months leading up to dune we're like are people going to see it? are people going to see it and then people released like oh screenshots of their imax screenings being completely full or sold out just like mine were and having to go resort to Cine capri. I capri mean, that sounds bad but you know obviously it's a great privilege to see it in the Cine capri um but yeah dune did everything and then some for me it went above and beyond in terms of expectations i knew it would be pretty good because just, just cause I loved the filmmaker and I loved everything I saw about it, but just the way he talked about the film, I got to see the preview a couple months ago uh, before the movie came out and how Hans Zimmer talked about how he did the score and how we're not used to, we're so used to hearing trumpets in sci-fi fantasy films. And this time he wanted to do something different with the choir, with the mechanically engineered sounds of like spaceships and sets and how that kind of contributes to the overall themes and messaging and mood of the movie. And, um, I could go on a tangent forever and I have most of this just littered in my review, but it's just one of those movies that checked every single box in terms of expectations and how it brought to life a book that is so incredibly dense, trimmed all the fat and streamlined all the important stuff about essentially a boy growing into a man that blossoms into a leader. And I think that they nailed the first three acts of a six act story. And uh, I genuinely, genuinely need a second part by the time I, Turn 30 and I hope we get that. I mean, that's five years. They have a five year window and I hope they do it because I need it.
1: I I would be shocked if they don't give us. I mean, listen, <laughs> they need to capitalize on the goodwill that they have right now in the sense of like, um, uh, the box office is as I mentioned prior early on, the box offices is doing better pandemic wise anyway than i guess warner brothers had hoped because now we're looking at the possible 40 million opening which may not be a lot when looking at pre-pandemic but that's still really good looking it's at huge. the fact that it was both day to date or day 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 in day, day, day? day, day and day in date. Date. day in date or day and date i can't day remember and date. day and date date <laughs> that's so that's just we tried to say that three times fast but day and date including the fact that we are still in a pandemic so that is still impressive. And the fact that IMAX greetings were like one point something million for Thursday showings, that is impressive yeah. in and of itself. And you're right, Roman, that does show the fact that that was people wanted to see it on the theater. And I think there was a large contingency of people that actually saw it on the theater and wanted to see it on the theater for those technical achievements and those technical merits alone. Um, because, as you said, there is so much we could get into tangent and talking about from that side alone, not even talking yeah. about the story. Because um, there's something I want to talk about too. But Dan, what are your thoughts about Dune and how it ultimately came to life on the screen for the second time?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell you something. This whole um, influx of uh, Warner Brothers, at t Discovery thing is going to put this sequel of Dune Part Two on hold because they're not going to be putting any movies into production until they settle this and get discovery ends up with the ownership of Warner brothers that they already have some things in production, like the Batman and the flash and and black Adam and things like that, but they're not going to do any more movies until this, this merger has completed. And then you got to worry about, is discovery gonna want to do part two i'm hoping this box office keeps rolling as uh mark ellis says keeps chugling along uh we need this thing to make as much money as it possibly because it wasn't cheap to make first of all this thing was not cheap and cheaper than black widow
1: surprisingly which and jungle cruise which surprises
0: <laughs> me to no end. <laughs> you know, you see the production, the cost in the production of this movie. The cast yeah. alone is unbelievably can't be cheap to get all these phenomenal phenomenal actors in this cast. Just to make the ships and the worlds and the things like that look real where they look tangible when you're watching them on your big 70-inch 4K television, or your IMAX, or your Dolby, or whatever it—it it looks real. It looks tangible, like you can touch touch Arrakis and Giddy Prime and all these different uh, uh, places that are um, depicted in this movie. So I'm just I'm I'm crossing my fingers we get part two, and I'm hoping people just keep going to see this movie as much as possible. Um, the other thing is to when you're dealing with a great science fiction novel of the past, something that is so beloved, and David Lynch was hamstrung with the 84 version. They didn't have the technology they have today, and it looked like it was wonky. It looked like Oof. it was uh, not that good. And But what he had to work with, I thought he did the best he can. But there's some stuff really bad CGI in that film that kind of really throws you off if you watch it. There's nothing bad about this version of Dune. When when I, I mean, I think I had Blade Runner 2049 at my number four of the year when it came out. But when I watched that movie and I looked, it just looked so good. All the various Las Vegas, San Diego, all the different places all had a distinct look about them and they all and that's the same thing with this film yep. doom looks different than giddy prime and 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 where 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 um where paul atreides family and his father luke uh lito atreides, caladan. caladan where Thank they're you. from that looks different than than giddy prime and Doom, and they all look distinctly different but they all stand up i knew this guy could handle Doom when it when you hear the words Danny Villeneuve's doing Dune. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, because I thought, I thought it was one of the most gorgeous movies I had ever seen Blade Runner 24. I didn't think we could get a movie. In, and I had seen Prisoners with the different cinematographer. I had seen Arrival with the different cinematographer. We've seen Sicario with the, you know, we've seen him do movies that look distinctly different, but they all still look gorgeous. She's like, oh, boy, this is going to be epic in scale. It's going to be amazing. Because he took a little bit from Arrival, a little bit from Blade Runner 2049, and he put what he learned in those films into Dune, and it really shows. And I'm telling you right now, if Dune doesn't get six or seven Below the Line Academy Award nominations, I'd be shocked. I mean, cinematography, set production, costumes, makeup, score. Um, I don't know what else. I mean, sound. I mean, So many more, honestly. I mean, it's going to get a bunch. And I think you have to reward Danny Villeneuve and the movie itself for that by giving it best picture. You're t- I mean, as of right now, it's my number one movie of the year. And I think Danny Villeneuve, for the achievement that he does with this movie, he definitely should be in that five but don't get me on my tangent about more than five directors and actors and all that. We don't want to hear that. again. We got that.
1: We got that. I remember we got that tangent. I remember twice before Uh, you have that strong opinion.
0: We don't want to get into my tangent about all that, but this is definitely one of the best. I can't, I'll be, I'll be honest. I cannot imagine nine other nine, 10 other better films than this. That are going to come out the rest of the year. We're going to see some good movies. There's no doubt about it. You're going to see one tonight, um, Manning. and I'm going to be hopefully. seeing a couple. <laughs> hopefully, some great movies in the next couple of weeks. I can't fathom a world where there are ten better movies than Dune that come out the rest of this year. I just can't. This is this is an absolute masterpiece, and I wrote my review on it a couple of days ago, so you can read that too.
1: Yeah, no. Dune and Mass for me are like vying for that number one to spot at the moment, and it all depends on the day. If I'm like looking for a, you know, that really visceral, emotional gut punch that is Mass, or the technical marvel with a with a classic uh, coming of age story for Dune, it all depends on the day, truthfully. But you mentioned something prior, Dan, in your in your um, spiel about about Dune and how Denny uh, uh, was taking bits and pieces from everything that he's learned. Because when I was watching Vanity Fair has their um, break, he breaks scene breakdowns and he was there with the um, look, break down the gum, Jabor, or Jabor. I can't remember precisely. I
2: think it's a gum,
1: Jabar, Okay. There's there so much go.
2: verbiage in this movie that Which, I...
1: I love that. I yeah. love it.
2: Yeah. It's,
1: it's dense, but not in a bad way. It's dense because I've, I've never been so invested in a world since like geez like I don't know when because like yeah. they, <laughs> they will yeah they will spoon feed <laughs> you like I and I, I know that Roman you have issues with the Marvel films. Uh that's that uh, for people who know him that is a that's a that's something that uh, he he knows but
2: it's kind of a trait they, at this point it just comes with the name it's, it's,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah but like for those they spoon feed you a lot of these things and granted dune will try to make some things digestible and have their exposition you can't get away of it you can't yeah. get around exposition sometimes that is needed but the way that it's done feels interesting and fascinating and i just want to know more i want to know more about this world i have this desire the way they cut back and forth as you said from these different worlds and make them so distinct like the, the the heart what is the planet for um, the Harkins. Getty Prime.
2: Getty Prime.
1: Getty Prime. See, I don't know all the names, but I want to know because it seems to me it's just, it's a nice blue tint. It's very cold. In comparison to something like... Yeah. It's like, ugh, like that's I, I, the place the villain should come from, shouldn't it? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then you converse that with Arrakis, and it's very, uh, it's very orange, yellow, and you feel dry whenever you're whenever you're yeah. there. Greg Fraser's brilliant cinematography really makes that stand out. Yes, Daniel, what were you going to say? Oh, uh,
0: let's quote. Uh, I, I don't know one of the one of the Star Wars movies. Sand. It's coarse. It gets that's everywhere. Right. It gets everywhere. I don't, I don't, <laughs> Well, I don't know which one of them. one of the prequels I think that's it was. that's
1: the second one. Famously, I hate I don't yeah. like sand. It's or in this case, I love the sand and dirt. Yeah. yeah,
0: but I remember that that was in my head. I was like, oh, that that quote is like sand. It gets everywhere. It's coarse uh, and so It does. And then they um, have a great line said by Josh Brolin about uh, they, about sand and how you're taking a shower in it.
2: Yeah. That's what and it feels like. Oh, go ahead, Roman. No, yeah, there's that line. I think there was a meme that came out about like some of the iconic lines about fears of mind killer and stuff like that. And then it was like, oh, the most iconic line from the book. And it's like something about wiping your ass with sand or something. And oh. yeah, it's just a nice funny joke in the movie. And there's not many jokes, but uh, that, one, that one worked for me.
1: No, yeah, there there, there aren't many jokes there, too. Didn't, didn't even move as not someone who... Um... Um, there's there's not a lot of humor in his in his movies, but it doesn't mean that's it's humorless. Um, yeah. There's always just the right little uh, uh, tinges of humor here and there, be it situational or, as we said, that that joke. and I think that works incredibly well because it gives some levity to what is a very dour um, not to its detriment, but it's very dour, very serious. Um, but it's interesting the entire time. Yeah. The world, the relationship dynamics I felt were, I felt genuinely invested in some of these characters, be it even like the relationship specifically between Lady Jessica and Paul, his mother and son, I thought was fascinating, as well as also Duke Leto and uh, Paul, his father, his father, and the son relationship accordingly, like the great line of like, you will always be everything you needed to be my son. First off, what a great, healthy father son relationship (laughs) right there, ladies and gentlemen. But it just—it's fascinating because I want to know more. Like now, I almost want to read the books because I feel like there was some stuff cut about that dynamic. I wanted more from their dynamic. I wanted just—I wanted more. My detriment, I guess, to the film was I wanted more, which I guess <laughs> is a great negative to have because it's never I never looked at my watch I never was like wait where where, I okay I looked at it once because I'm like wait how much is left in this because it just flew by so fast the pacing is great no scene outstays it's welcome that lets it lets the characters breathe but it also makes the characters interesting the actors are phenomenal uh the technical achievement in of itself as I mentioned Greg Frazier filmed this beautifully it's always very it's very in comparison to some of some of his other work like Blade Runner 2049 it's very desaturated like there, there's not a lot of bright vibrant colors as people will look back on believer 249 there are a lot of vibrant colors in that one this one not so much but that doesn't mean desaturation does not always equal bad yeah. in this one the camera movement um the close-ups the use of shadows and the use of uh lighting is scale. you know
0: what was to that? Me the scale to the me scale. The scale is it's yeah. like you see these ships coming landing you see these ships in space great you see see these attack scenes or whatever it's like the scale they really have figured out the scale of how to do the cgi based on the location that they're on Yeah.
1: yeah and what i was going to add like as i said it's it's desaturated but it's not flat there is depth yeah. to the perception. There's the, the the blacks are black. The whites are white. It shows that there is some great high level of contrast. Some of the scenes were kind of enveloped in darkness um, the entire time. And there's intention with the lighting. And I appreciate – I love good lighting in movies. Yeah. And, oh, Greg Frazier did a fantastic job, but Roman, I a question I have for you is when you saw this um, um, come to life, you had mentioned specifically uh, Hans Zimmer and you said you were going to like, you could go on, on a tangent about that and, and Hans Zimmer and his great work that he did um, for you in particular, what were some of the highlights when watching this film was from a technical standpoint, at least, or from a story standpoint, just in general, what are some of the things that you take away from other than the general film in and of itself?
2: Well, One of the things in the movie that, you know, gets a little bit more attention in the book, like a lot of other stuff gets more attention in the book, like some subplots that they don't really include in the movie, just because it doesn't really necessarily make much sense. But it's always nice to kind of have it for world building. But the voice is this key part of the story where or essential power where it's kind of like an overwhelming Sort of skill to have and to kind of, you know, dictate maybe something happening in a good way for you or to force someone to do something they might not want to do this, that and the other. And so what I loved about what he did with the score is during like these big moments of like Paul coming into power or growth is you would have the choir belt into the into the score. And it just was sort of like this overwhelming, alarming moment because for how mechanical everything is and for how artificial a lot of it is, whether it's the ships or the sets or whatever, I mean, the ornithopters, it doesn't even matter. It's kind of offset by this natural sound of the human voice. And so when Hans was talking about that and saying like, I wanted to include that because it, you know, you do have this desolate planet, you do have this world that doesn't really have much life in it, but the sound of like this voice is an extension of these characters. Or even as I noted in my review, like you look at the ornithopters, they're, when they fly, they look like insects, they look like dragonflies. And so the desert is brimming with life, but in this mechanical way, whether it's a beetle in the hallway that gets foreshadowed, you know, a couple of times before a big moment, or these characters that are touching these very tangible sets, you know, and the story is about a lot of the abstract, a lot about the unknown. So these characters are venturing into the unknown. They have no idea what's going to happen next, but they've got these very Mm -hmm. tangible real things around them that, that kind of, ground them in the moment and uh, allow them to sort of, you know, forge their path. I mean, there's so many moments I can just look back on in the movie and say, I cannot believe they did that and shot it the way they did. And the most notable one for me, and I noted it in my review, is the moment between Paul and his dad. Paul goes from a kid asking a ton of questions and eager to ask questions, to learn more, to know more, because he's concerned into a prepared adult ready to like give orders. And so when he's talking to his dad, asking about, you know, What's the future of House Atreides? What's the future of us amongst a graveyard of their fallen forefathers from the past? It's like, I can't believe they did that and managed to make it so visually interesting. And they just use everything as an extension of the themes in the story of the movie. And I can't think of a movie this big with this much money put into it that goes as far to make it that personal for these characters. And I, that's why it really stands out to me in every single regard.
1: Mm-hmm. And you had mentioned about the this the sound. There was an interview, I forgot who it was with. I read the article. Um, Hans Zimmer says he wanted to create something from, quote, another world, another time. And that's exactly what the soundtrack is because it feels ancient, like this is some un, almost uh, um, uh, otherworldly uh, uh, archaeological thing we've discovered <laughs> in the depths of, like, uh, the Sahara or something, but mm-hmm. also something that is alien in a way it's they're all humans of course besides sandworms they're not human um that'd be weird um but it feels alien and foreign in a way when it comes to the 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 use of the of mechanical and very kind of like uh ethereal sounds like he took some of the aspects that he's done of blade runner 2049 uh in like some of the synthesizers that were used but also he married that with some like the choir from like a gladiator almost. So it's like yeah. he decided let's combine these two together to create something that is both ancient, but otherworldly. And he does an amazing job. Like i was listen to the soundtrack running yesterday. And I'm just like, this is just,
2: Oh, that's all I've been own. listening to. Like oh, so Armada. And uh, I forget what the other one is that just, I think it's like Holy war that are just out right. of this world. Good. Um, and I think for Denis Villeneuve as well, this movie is kind of the, it feels like everything in Denise's career and Hans Hans's career has led to sort of this movie, because it feels like such a great marriage of so many things mm-hmm. they've done throughout their career. I mean, if you look at what Dune's about on so many different, like in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, the interplanetary conflict or, you know, the abstract a la arrival, you know, you see a lot of these subsections in Denise's work and he's quoted before as saying like Dune is like, the biggest thing in the world to him as much as it was Blade Runner. And that's why, you know, I understand the comparisons to Lord of the Rings to star Wars to game of Thrones. But to me, it's more like Blade Runner in the sense that the world is speaking for itself. It's something that we're really just investing in and letting just envelop us and just kind of going on this ride that of something we've never seen before. It looks familiar in some ways and feels familiar, but that's because it's a marriage of, medieval fantasy swords and shield there's no guns there's no facetime there's no ipads and it has all the science fiction future stuff of the future that uh we're kind of familiar with and that's why to me dune is like having read it having seen it you know david lynch's version and half of this version it's like yeah this is something special and it's been special since 1965 so
1: yeah and i think it's really cool as you mentioned like there are swords and sandals they literally fighting with like swords and spears and but yeah. they also have, like, shields. They also have, like, these <laughs> electronic shields. So it's this it's this dichotomy between um, uh, these, uh, the, from science and mm-hmm. almost uh, just classic swords and sandals. It's, as you said, yeah. it's like Blade Runner, where there's these analogs. It's very much like this is not like a... Uh, let's turn on the hologram i mean there are kind of holograms projectors
2: and, uh, yeah projectors
1: yeah but it's not super futuristic which we have hyper we have interplanetary travel so there is some futuristic but it doesn't feel overwhelming as i said it yeah. feels grounded in the fact that, that it's taking place then and there with kind of um, almost very almost past it's almost like almost in the past as well too it's like you know the galaxy far far wow. away A long time ago. This is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's what it seems
2: like. And one of the things I noticed sitting in the theater is usually in science fiction movies, they don't refer to anyone as human. But Paul, when talking to his mom, says they don't breathe like or act like normal humans. And it kind of stood out to me because I was like. This takes place like somewhere in the galaxy, and he refers to humans, even though they don't refer to them. It's interesting, so I found that kind of interesting.
0: Bowls, we get bowls, palm
2: trees. Yeah, it's
0: kind of interesting that that there are like stuff from our own planet on in in this story. You know, yeah, you know that was kind of fascinating. But something I want to ask you guys, and you you guys tell me if I'm wrong or whatever. Uh, This story to me is more prevalent in. relatable today because of what we're going through as far as um, a society. But I look at like the spice is like oil today. And I look at like these, these, like these families as like political, like uh, political, like countries and stuff like that. And I, and I, and, and this vying source, for the oil. Yeah. Vying for the oil. And, and I, and I look at this story as something that we can relate to as a society and that's one of the reasons why it's so important, and and a lot of our film and our and our music and our TV shows, the, it has to be relatable, something that we could tangibly think about. And, oh yeah, that reminds me of this, that, or the other, you know. And that's what Dude has always reminded me about. So I wanted to get you guys' opinion. Do you, do you guys agree with as far as like the spices, the oil, and then the the, the you know the various countries or the, the various houses and stuff like that or the political maybe republicans and democrats i don't know
2: know? i completely agree as soon as you said that i i just immediately went to my review because i noted exactly that um because what's so great about science fiction i'm just going to quote it here uh, from my review is all great science fiction is based on a semblance of truth in the present to expel warnings about the future and i think that it's kind of incredible because the book released in 65 but you can literally relate it to the U.S.'s invasion of the Middle East in the early 2000s and how they went to the Middle East, essentially like dominate, defied their beliefs and systems and use technology to take over. Um, and I think that's kind of fascinating because oil is so precious of a material that you can use it to kind of control like so much capital. I mean, it's all based around oil and how prominent and dominant it is around the country. I mean, just almost as much as water is. Um, and I think that that is so fascinating and all great science fiction does it. So I completely agree that it is. Yeah, it is a story about Middle Eastern people, people and their land being taken over and having their beliefs and systems denied by the U.S. government. But the fact that House Atreides, Atreides comes in and they're like, you know, we didn't come here to rule the Fremen people. We came here to embrace their culture and their desert power and how they sort of use their environment to their advantage I mean, you see that early on and again that is also an extension of why the story is so good and you guys have no idea um, unless dan you know what's coming in the second half and it's going to be awesome
0: yeah i mean it's going to be incredible we know we're going to get epicness in the second (laughs) part if you know the story and if you've seen the first where you know it's going to be epic and that is going to be amazing when, when we finally get that i hope i hope i mean come on discovery you gotta do this you gotta do this if anything you're uh, gonna you gotta, gotta lit anything discover you gotta lit part two of this.
1: yeah i was about to say i'm more than confident i'd bet money that we're getting a part two i cannot yeah. guarantee we're gonna get anything more than a part two i would love it i can't guarantee that it all really depends but you would to your question dan to me that just kind of shows the that the time is a flat circle um, where we are literally going back and forth because this was again, this was the sixties, and now here we are relaying to something that can still translate to today, that still holds weight and still holds meaning to today, that you can still use and see, okay, that was then, but this is also now. And Roman, that is a fantastic actually line. Um, I'm gonna steal that in the future because it is. It's to show what's going on there to provide warning for the future. Um, verbatim not verbatim, but yeah. And I think that. <clears throat> the allegories are universal a lot of complaints that i've heard from this is that like oh we've seen this before well of course you've seen this story before this is kind of an adaptation for something that kind of paved the way for a lot of not Everything like something else like, we've lord, seen. <laughs> yeah like <laughs> not something like like lord of the rings but like when it comes to the hero's journey from a lens of both like fantastical sci-fi uh fantasy sci-fi what have you other than i said lord of the rings and some other stuff here and there so when it comes to star wars um and, and many other just films like the adaptation what's taken from dune is still so universal and great my one critique i will say is that um and i didn't call it a critique because this well this will go away this will go away if there's a part two and i get to see it is that this does feel very much like a part one they literally end on a movie or a line that says this is only the beginning and it's like oh i see what you're doing there i know what you mean this is only the beginning. I would, it does feel incomplete. The movie does feel incomplete. Not that it's, not that there's missing scenes or that it doesn't feel whole in the moment, but it does feel like there's an overarching story that is incomplete. And I do really want to finish that because his arc is only just beginning. I can feel that arc only beginning his journey, his path to the desert. I know that said, but. I want more because his arc has not been completed. And this will work so much better as a part one to a part two. And if we get that part two and I see that, my 4.5 is what I have it right now. I will automatically jump to a five, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I just want to be able to finish his arc and his story. And while this is a complete story in and of itself, there is a larger overarching story that is happening on Arrakis and in the world in and of itself that needs to be told and needs to be completed. So when we get that part two, that four and a half, will be a five i can all automatically tell you that to be the case but did that for either of you guys i'll ask the question did that incompleteness deter you guys at all or were you just like nope it's it's in and of itself or is that something that um y'all were maybe not forgiving of or maybe you were forgiving of it or did you not find it to be something that was incomplete so uh dan what about for you and then roman
0: yeah i i knew i knew what i was getting into going into it i knew it was a part one i knew it was going to have a a finite ending and then we're going to go into part two whenever the budget uh whatever he he got could get part two uh, i really wish Warner Brothers let him finish just film both parts together yeah, so we would get part, tar, part two next year or whatever but we didn't get that yeah but I knew I was going into, I knew it was going to end in a place that it was going to make sense for it to end in that place. And hopefully just discovery, just green lights part two. When we get, we get the finish. My thing is, I don't think it's going to be as long as this one though. If, if they do, do part so two, maybe mm-hmm. a buck and a half, 90 minutes. That's what
2: I'm thinking. Then, wow. Then I think so. Get,
0: too. Then you get that 4k Blu-ray and you get them combined the ultimate edition where you get them and you get to watch it all in one sitting. And it's like, this is just one big movie. Remember kill bill, volume one and volume. Like we got those separate, but really Malcolm always talks about the ultimate edition or whatever it was called of kill bill where you get, you just sit there and you watch them both together because it's really one big movie. And that's kind of what, um, dude will be quote, hopefully when we get part two
1: well i will preface by quickly by saying that um i'm curious to see how this plays out when it comes to a three-act structure if we try to combine the two because there is there are three distinct acts in this and i'm not saying like the story in itself is incomplete from what they've told here but i feel like there is more especially when it comes to character arcs and the overarching story that feels incomplete if that makes any sense whatsoever because there is a complete narrative that is told here if that makes any sense.
0: Well, there's a romance, and that we don't get the romance. There's like yeah, they hinted at a, it. A romance in dream sequences that we never get. So that is kind of what I think a lot of people are looking forward to. And obviously the the big battle type sequence that we're going to get. There will be. So we're going to have to get this romance that we kind of foreshadow in dreams, and then the giant big battle to show the leader. From a boy to a man and a leader and the whole nine yards. So, I mean, maybe 90 minutes, we could do that. I don't know, maybe longer. I don't know, who knows?
1: I'm okay with longer, but Roman, what were your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I um, it's kind of hard to say, you know, because for me, the going into it, I was like, well, where is it going to end? I don't want it to end. I know I'm not going to yes. want it to end because I'm like, because as the scene, got towards the end I was like is it going to be here are they going to give us this before they do that and then once they have that big sequence towards the end with the two characters I was like okay this is they're wrapping it up um and I can kind of feel it too just sitting in there in the chair I'd been like man we've been here for a minute um but no as far as you know the sequel goes and the incompleteness and I, I totally get it but based on my perspective of it is the whole first half of this story and even the book does this really well is it alludes to a lot of things and it's just a lot of foreshadowing and building on foreshadowing and so for the movie to sort of visualize that where there's a lot of foreshadowing of things that may come true may not come true and how he perceives that in his reality and what it could end up being I think that what the movie does really well as it embraces that. It embraces that's a part of the narrative that it is foreshadowing what's to come. And yeah, it kind of cheats a little bit and saying, well, well, come back for part two when it's going to be maybe another hour and a half to two hours of story and ending in a big battle and this really awesome sequence that I can't wait for people to see um, and all this other stuff. But yeah, I think that they really kind of capitalize on foreshadowing. So to me that when it ends, I w- didn't feel as cheated because again, it does, it is the, f- first three acts of a certainly much longer than three acts story. Um, and they kind of capitalize on foreshadowing. And I think that that's all it really needed to do for me, because again, I kind of knew where it was leading. So I kind of had a little jump on it. Um, and maybe if I hadn't read the book, I'd feel differently. And it seems to be where most people are standing where they're like, if you read the book, you're going to be satisfied because it adapted everything pretty much to a T. Um, but if you hadn't, you're going to kind of feel a little, a little let down in that regard but nothing dramatic to the point where like oh this is the worst movie i've ever seen
1: oh you yeah you hit the nail upon the head i was thinking because you guys know what's coming next i have utterly no idea what is going to transpire in this part two um but i'm I, i'm excited to be able to witness this because i'm not yeah it's not the worst movie of all time and those people who may think that is the case no 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 well no. No, i will no. tell you
0: something man there's a scene when there's a worm coming after Paul and his mother and the worm stops.
1: Wait, before we get into that, I want to officially say we're going to, we, I think it's time now we'll get into spoilers. So it's t- time for us to do that. So now Dan hit us with that.
0: Well, the worm stops. You're going to get more of that. You're going to get more of the, the things that his mother was teaching him and how he uses what he learned and and you got them you know in david lynch version it's moadib now in this version they're calling it something else
2: yeah i've been saying that like every day since it came out i love the way they say
0: it so i was a little confused there but I understood because I know I just, just said, okay, that's what they're calling him. They're calling him that and that and this and this. So I was like, okay, this is what they're calling this. This is going to be a big part of the part two. You only saw that one scene in that giant worm and, and it stopped. You're like, whoa, why is that big worm stopping? How did it stop? What made it stop? you know And that's going to be a huge part going forward. Mm-hmm. And why Paul Atreides is, is who he is. They really do do a nice job with various dialogues with the witches' guild so and Jenner. Yeah, Benad They kind In of Gensurate. talk about Oof. it, terrifying, and, and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, they're gonna, but you know, you're not gonna get it. You knew you weren't gonna get it. So they really do satiate your 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 appetite for. The second part because there are things that really need to come full circle based on what you saw in this version oh great setup yeah absolutely
2: yeah uh when it ended i had to explain to joanne and my brother roger that this wasn't part one of the first full book this is only part one of the first half of the book and they were like are you serious this is only the first half you mean to tell me there's like a whole i said yeah and you have no idea and it I'm curious as to how they're going to cast two characters we didn't see any part of in this movie that plays a massive role in the second one. I already have some thoughts in mind uh, as to who they could be, and I hope they do it because I think that would just be very, very cool. Well, yeah,
0: um, we, got, but, we haven't got the emperor. We haven't got the emperor. Some of that stuff at the beginning of um, David Lynch version. We have. I was any-
2: talking about it this last night with some people. I was like, "Yeah, we didn't see any of the emperor. We didn't even hear his voice." We, didn't. so I'm, I'm already pitching the idea. And I haven't done this in years, which is kind of exciting because, you know, oh, when it. you're when you're younger, you're like, oh, who's this going to be? I want Joaquin Phoenix to be the emperor so bad because he's Timothy Chalamet's idol. And I think Joaquin Phoenix fits this world perfectly because huh. I was talking about this with Joanne. Timothy Chalamet does such a great job in this movie because he, to me, he doesn't look like a typical leading boy or leading man because his features, they're sharp, but they're not to me what hollywood has perceived as ideal. And I think that he fits mm-hmm. this world perfectly in in the same way that Joaquin Phoenix does. Where Joaquin Phoenix is a leading man and he can be, but he's got the scar on his lip, he's got the rough eyebrows, the not so soft eyes. And I think that he would fit this world perfectly and plus Chalamet is kind of like idolizes his entire career after that and you see that. And the most impressive part of the movie to me outside of the visual effects, outside of the score, outside of all the fundamental elements is Timothy Chalamet, You see his growth as a character you see like he's sort of boyish and charmish early on and then he grows towards the end when that big Mm -hmm. fight sequence with you know uh i forget what the exact terminology is there's so much of it in the movie but when he pulls the sword up to his head like he's very serious he's very grown matured and i think that you see that especially in the tent sequence which also might be the best scene in the movie Mm -hmm. um so yeah mad props to pretty much everyone involved but
0: that tense sequence is pretty intense with him and his mom in there, but yeah, you know, the stuff with Josh Brolin and, 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 and stuff at the beginning, boom, that comes into effect in that fight to show yeah. who he is and why he, sh- he could be the man that could protect his mother and vice versa. She's protecting him in, in ways, you know, and that's why that, that works so well, Roman, you're absolutely right. i this is three acts of a six act movie. Those three acts work for this part one. They work. They fit. They 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 they're there. They they make sense for that part one. Just like Kill Bill, the the parts that we saw, the bride go through and the things that she went through in part one, and then we got the conclusion at the end, you know? So you know, I we we're beating a dead horse, I guess. On,
1: well, well what i was gonna say is that i i think this is well first off timothy chalamet just proves again when i first saw him i can't remember when i first saw him was it ladybird no interstellar i think it was interstellar oh yeah he he's that. in interstellar for like i was like eight seconds Who is this kid and then it's like <laughs> okay then he got a chance and now I'm looking at him and i'm like this kid is going places like he some he like he he like grabs your attention this entire film and he i mean he's already went places the guy's an oscar nominated actor so um, i mean but you know what i mean he manages to just command your attention the entire time and the performances all across the board are incredible they're nothing that's going to be like i don't think we're getting into the oscar specifics i don't think none of these are going to get nominated for any acting unfortunately i think rebecca
2: ferguson is Cl- i think she steals the entire movie <laughs> pretty she, close right.
1: to as i right. said that scene where that it's like a cathartic scene of having them in um uh that that tent as you said that was very like it was building to that scene because their relationship i'm so curious as to that dynamic because at the end of the day lady jessica is a part of the Bene-Ges- Bene Gesserit Bene- benedict it's been a Jesuit, thank you these are words i'm gonna have to get into my vocabulary <laughs> really soon because it's basically almost a whole nother language it feels like yeah. uh but the ben uh are also tear can i just say they're there charlotte rampling for the little bit she's on it's terrifying
2: oh absolutely she, it's like
1: a horror film it was shot like a horror film was what that was the entire time the the use of the sound effects the the, the look and the feel the acting in there the
2: mesh over the face yeah it oh, was the
1: hiding of her those witches man they're the, terrifying yeah. but that but that conflict between her growing up of like okay this is these are my people the a Jesuits, because that's who i am but i'm also a mother and when duke leto asks her i'm not asking his mother i'm asking the benegesser Jesuit. you oh, i'm asking her so that good. that was a great scene and she can't respond mm-hmm. right there and it's like oh this is gonna be some conflict and i love it I love the character growth that we're getting with these, and they feel like complete characters. I'm really sad. Again, this is spoilers because we mentioned it. Um, so, man, why did Oscar Isaac have to die? I love Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto. He has story. such a commanding presence. I know it's in the story. But he has such a commanding presence, and I'm sad he didn't take out the Baron because I'm just like. Ah. But I know it's gonna it's gonna play later. I know into every into. The
0: Baron's gonna get your story. I
1: know he will. I know he's gonna get. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's gonna die a horrible death, perhaps. But also, (laughs) Stellan Stellan Skarsgård is also terrifying as the Baron. The makeup work and the design on that character,
0: yeah,
1: it's bone chilling. Truthfully, like the way that he hovers. I don't know if that was that in the David Lynch's um visualization of doing this, but it's like more silly.
0: Yeah. It's, it's it's campy looking. Uh, it yeah. just the movie just has a more campy look to it. The David Lynch version, which they makes
2: sense for Lynch, but
0: yeah. yeah, But it just they just didn't imagine. Like okay, there's a documentary out, Manning called Jodorowsky's Dune.
1: Yes, I've heard of it. You
0: need to see this. Die. You want to see what dude could have been? Watch Jodorowsky's Dune and and. The same people that worked on like Alien and Aliens, like the, oh, wow. the design and the, the <sighs> that kind of yeah. stuff, were working on Dune. Wow! Think about what that. You happened? know the designs you've seen for Alien and Aliens and all that stuff. That those those uh, people that draw up that stuff and create that stuff they were they were working on Dune for Jodorowsky, and it just never it just never transpired. That documentary will open your eyes about what a potential dune could have been like back then, mm-hmm. but we never got it. So what are you going to do? But I want to say something about Timothy Chalamet. I wrote an article a couple of years ago, and you know I know this. A lot of people are like, "Ooh, that's, that's 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 saying too much. That's 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 kind of putting too much pressure on him." But I w- wrote an article about. Timothy Chalamet and Lucas Hedges being this generation's mm. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, and I strongly believe it that if you look at these two actors and their their arc as as young actors and coming up, they're they're the they're the Al Pacino and Robert De Niro of this generation. You can see how these two young actors are progressing, the projects they're choosing. They're not. Choosing just oh, this is this crappy movie. I'm in this crap, I'm in that crappy movie. No, they're in good movies. They give always give great performances in everything they're doing. They're in iconic movies like Dune and things like that, you know. Um you're gonna have a parallel of these two actors as the years go on. Because they're gonna be around a while, Lucas Hedges and Timothy oh, yeah. And it I does- and I believe, I really strongly believe Timothy Chalamet is going to be one of the great actors of his generation when it's all said 20 years down the line, people gonna like, Oh my God, this is the great, this is the Al Pacino of this generation. Just like I believe Lucas Hedges is the De Niro of, of this generation. But uh, that's just on a side note about.
1: I will add um, that. Oh, well, actually one performance that I wanted to, uh, you know, mention is, well also Timothy, Timothy Chalamet has such a great natural charisma. Um, but it's also kind of reserved at the same time. He's not exactly he's not exactly a Jason Momoa who also has great natural charisma. We didn't even
2: mention him. We haven't even mentioned him once. <laughs> he's so I know, good. which is like <laughs> he is so good. He doesn't exactly I do like him.
1: he doesn't exactly go like, wow, what an amazing performance, but he has such a commanding like presence when it comes to just like Man, this guy is just someone I want to like, I cared about. I'm like, please don't die. Please don't die. I really like you, Duncan Idaho. What a name. Like, you guys heard Hannah Montana? Well, this is Duncan Idaho. Idaho. (laughs) Uh, He he trimmed his
0: beard. He trimmed his beard. He He, he said the only person that could make him trim his beard was Danny Villeneuve. He would never have done cut his beard off if it wasn't for uh, Danny Villeneuve.
1: It Works because it makes something because obviously he's known for Aquaman and for Cal Drago. Both characters have a long beard, and he very he looks very different without his beard.
0: He does, and yeah,
1: yeah. He manages to create a character that while it's not a fully formed in the sense of like wow, what's his backstory? How long has he been here? But we care about him the entire time, and I just want to hear jason momoa has such a great screen presence and i want to be able to he i loved his interactions with timothy and Shama. they sold that relationship very well with the limited time they were there together and again i i felt it when he was it was a very rousing moment on his death it was like i know what's happening i know it's transpiring and i feel horrible the fact that he is dying right now but it went out in a blaze of glory and i was like oh r.i.p duncan idaho man that jason momoa did fantastic.
2: I think Denis does a really good job of understanding what his actors are capable of, and giving yes. them just enough to work on that. Like even look at Dave Bautista in Blade Runner twenty forty nine. He's in the so first good. scene, and he's so good. He's like yes. one of the best performances in like the last five years in that. Scene, I feel like um, yeah. just how the way he carries himself, just the little glasses on a big body, and stuff like that. And I think. <laughs> every interview i've watched of denis and he's my favorite filmmaker i have nothing but passion for the guy and he's just done so much for me just as a storyteller and what his movies mean to me and all that stuff um but he just really understands just how to get the most out of what's available to him whether it's budget whether it's actors whether it's talent involved behind the scenes he just really gets it and i think that every time you listen to him talk it's just like man this guy he's not like a martin scorsese where he's you know excited and pumped up even at 80 years old he's very specific but he's still very much in love with what he's creating and um some people think that's kind of a a con to his work some people think that dune may be a little too clinical and his filmography may be too clinical but to me dune is clinical it's a very specific movie about very very specific things that span very different genres and can be combined into one and that's why it's such a a bizarre sort of sci-fi fantasy trip that um, only Denis could have made.
0: It's the and, new Star Wars, but 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 it needed to be in the hands of somebody that can make it the new Star Wars. And I and I I, I strongly agree with the people. The comparisons is this the new Star Wars? Yeah, it is the new Star Wars in Denny Villeneuve's hands. It wasn't <laughs> the new Star Wars in David Lynch's hands, but it no. is the new Star Wars in Denny Villeneuve's hands. I
1: hope that's the okay, case because he's a very distinctive filmmaker, and a lot of criticism I've heard from him is. His movies feel cold and emotionless.
2: Completely disagree.
1: And I was about to say his the emotions in his movies are there. It's controlled. It's something that is not overtly like nothing. And again. Every director is distinct. Every screenwriter is distinct. It's all different. For him, he controls the emotion when it's presented. It's if it feels distant, it's because that is might be a choice at that moment. It's not saying I can't do that. Look mm-hmm. at again that tent scene. That was building up to that moment. And it is released and it's cathartic. He is not an emotionless director. He is a distinct director, but he's not one that wears, he's not someone that wears his heart upon his sleeve where everyone is like you know, in a very specific way, you can see them. The characters are very controlled, but they will let go of that control and you can see their emotions. They are not emotionless caricatures, but I heard that too much. And it's like kind of annoys me because it's very false.
2: Even just with watching Sicario recently, that sequence at the end, when um, Alejandro Benicio del Toro's character has the gun pointed at Emily Blunt's character. It's the only time we see like physical tears in the movie and the whole movie is building up to this moment that is feels never ending look at Blade Runner 2049 like he's Agent K he's kind of concerned about where he's going and what his journey is and then at the end you know he isn't the child but he chose to die for the right cause and yeah. he's like oh all the best memory are memories are hers and then he dies on the steps and it's like all these moments they're full of emotion and they have meaning at the end and I think not enough movies do that to where you know a lot of dramas have the characters reaching into the sand and lifting their fists in the sky crying and angry and upset and throwing things across the room. But he manages to do it to complement the narrative that it's a part of, and I think that that is uh, just a huge testament to his ability as a storyteller because he's patient. He's very, very patient, and I think that he uh, capitalizes on that every time.
1: And if you look back at some of his like films, like you look at Prisoners, um, like there's always like maybe like there's always a cathartic moment of the characters release their anger or release their high emotions, like Blade twenty forty nine, K finally just kind of like throws a chair he gets upset in that one moment and again that was him releasing prisoners jake Gyllenhaal's character of detective loki he has a moment where he starts banging everything and it's cathartic yeah. in that one moment it's not exactly it doesn't transpire throughout the entire movie there aren't these peaks and valleys it is a slow build before there's a cathartic drop off and you continue that yeah. he knows when to use emotion very effectively absolutely um yeah i just i just heard that complaint a lot and i think it's misplaced because if people are looking for a very particular type of emotion and not saying either thing is good or bad i just think when they say he has no emotion they're not looking hard enough
2: i agree (laughs) i completely agree
1: yeah so i just because again he is one of my favorite directors and i think he's a fantastic uh uh artur when it comes to because look at his look at his filmography again i haven't if you even if you just take um oh shoot what do you do before prisoners um, or is enemy, it
2: enemy incendies polytechnique
1: okay well it's not do polytechnique because so i haven't seen polytechnique but like if you i know that's one of them that I, it's that i that i have not seen
2: it's um, hard to watch if you
1: look at from, oh is it oh well
2: extremely extremely hard to watch
1: well if we look from incendies all the way to like now if you look from that list of you have incendies i'm just going so to do it off the top of my head incendies you have enemy you have prisoners you have um, Sicario. You have uh, Arrival. You have Blade Runner 2049. You have Dune. That is a just. It is fantastic. But b- there is nothing else to say other than this is just an amazing run. And I can't yeah. wait to see what he does. This part two for Dune, please. <laughs> Next movie, please. Yeah, Warner Brothers Discovery.
0: Played, you can't make it. He can't make another film in between these two. No. He's got Discovery has got to green light part two yeah. i mean that's i think they the will next thing he does but I also so. a lot of people here a lot of moving parts getting everybody on the same page they're all doing people momo is doing aquaman and you know everybody back doing to ferguson
2: Marvel. mission impossible all this other stuff yeah, yeah
0: so getting all these people together again cinematographers the dps the, the, the costume people That ain't gonna be that's why i wish warner brothers would have just let him back to back they should have back to back Get it done with, you know. But whatever.
1: Hey, Hans Zimmer's on board for number two. We have him (laughs) down. He's like (laughs) he's already writing music.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, he's only won one Oscar, Hans Zimmer. I mean, how how is this guy only won one Oscar in his career? It's so weird. We got to give him the. But there's
2: John Williams is out there stealing them.
0: Well, no. yeah. Well,
1: stealing the nominations at least. The (laughs)
0: dislots, the those guys kind of come along in the last decade or two. Uh, but we got this guy who's got going to legitimately get uh, Johnny Greenwood could get two nominations this year and Zimmer might get through. might lose again. And it's like, really? gonna lose to this,
1: which is a perfect time. To, actually, before we get into the Oscar talk right now and wrap things up, I want to clarify something because at the very end, they do a great job of kind of building Zendaya's character up the entire time. And then we kind of get to finally get their intera- in- interaction and it's kind of. You know, they're just kind of knowing each other, but there's something budding you can kind of see and tell. But one thing I found incredibly interesting is that they use these flashbacks. And I want to clarify from this from y'all, because, of course, you guys have actually seen both the David Lynch and for you, Roman, you've actually read it. There is a character that is shown that says, I'm going to teach you the ways, uh, or ways of the desert. And you come to find out that's the person he's fighting. Am I incorrect? Is that the same guy that that's he has the in the vision? Guy. And then he, instead of him showing the ways of the desert, he kills him. Correct me if I'm wrong. And if this is spoiler, stop me right now. Does this mean that his visions will not always come to pass? That they are ever-changing, ebbing, ebbing and flowing? Is that correct?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. even okay. though he's having dreams doesn't mean they're in the Bene Gesserit witch lady kind of said this to him don't just because you're dreaming doesn't mean it's kind of real and then also he got that line from uh, Duncan Idaho hey dreams are dreams this is reality you know you live in your reality this is the you know so we have to take it with a grain of salt that he that those dreams may not come true but we've I think the stuff that's going to happen with Zendaya is going to happen. It looks like they're going to get together and they're going to be like the leader of the world, the galaxy, but whatever no, the hell, but will know, she? Moadib or whatever the hell you want to call the guy. But <laughs>
1: will she murder him? Cause that was also the, the vision as well. So that's what I'm curious about to show are his dreams and, or his visions or dreams or what have you, will they all come to pass? I don't know, but Roman, were you going to say anything? He gave him anything? the knife.
2: I think it's kind of hard to say because, with any adaptation, they could change things, yeah. um, which always kind of scares me. But from the looks of it, it sounds like he's going to stick pretty close because yeah, he, he has a very, very deep, deep passion, passion for the material. Um, I think what the, what the dreams do and these visions do is they're full of anxiety and full of fear. Um, and I think that because he's growing into a man and it is a coming of age story in a sense, I think that it is just him kind of growing into having to accept being a leader and the fear of, what what comes with that I mean think about what happened to his dad you know his dad dies because you have a character that they trusted set him up for failure which makes it a lot like Game of Thrones because Dr. Yue he's not a bad guy he just wanted to no. try and do the right thing and end it all and maybe that was his means of doing it and I think that that just plays into a lot of what you're going to end up seeing in the second one where you're going to have a lot of things alluded to a lot of things come to pass um, but it, it's just kind of a matter of not so much what the dreams are telling him, but what he acts on in the moment. I mean, look at, look at that fight sequence towards the end. He didn't want to kill the guy. He could have killed him multiple times. And he chose mm-hmm. not to. And they said, you have to do it. And then again, there's a great quote. I'm not even going to try and quote it. Cause I'll botch it about, you know, kind of growing into a man. And once you killed someone. Um, and I think that's, again, I just want to literally just go read and rewatch the movie over and over. Cause that's Jeez. all I want to be in right now is that world. It is, it's just special to me. It's very special.
1: It's a fascinating world, and we didn't get to talk about how the um, um, uh, the sandworms, which I thought were like an incredibly cool visual and are terrifying in and of themselves. But we're going to get more in part two, right, guys?
2: Yeah. Oh, very much warm. Yeah, Big worm time. time. Yeah. Two, Big worm energy. you got
0: going to learn how to ride the sandworms energy. in part two. We're going to get to learn how to ride the sandworm. You saw the doctor. What was yes. it the doctor was riding the sandworm? Yeah. We're gonna, was- actually, going to learn... No...
1: She she's she's dead, right? I did not expect them to kill her. I thought she was going to last what was, longer.
0: What was she riding a sandworm for, though? That I wasn't mean, her, was it? Yeah, that was her, wasn't it? Right? I don't no? think that's
2: so. I don't think so. The, All right. All right. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens. With, I don't know how they're going to start the second one or who they're going to start with, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens that you're like, okay, yeah, I got to kind of recollect myself. So hopefully they have a double bill of uh, the two when part two comes out. So I'm pretty so, positive that's happening.
1: The question I have is that where did they end in the in the in the novel Roman? When where did they end? Is this is this near the halfway point in the novel, or is I this, or- think this is. Ex-
2: I think actually the halfway point is when uh, Jessica and Paul met meet the Fremen, and then huh. I I kind of see the ending li- as little a little bit more of like an epilogue as a sort of a a vestibule, I guess, of just connecting part one and part. Halves of the story, because the that's the way I at least kind of read it. If I I went and looked at the book, it's literally like page what would halfway point three ninety out of seven hundred or something. It's it's sort of in a weird spot.
0: Okay, well, they a did a nice over, job with yeah. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, in my opinion.
2: Oh, that was that was like to a T. That was like halfway yeah. halfway. Wow. They really they yeah, did. They did a nice job almost. on
0: that, and, and and it needed to be two parts because of the epicness of that book so they they kind of split this i would that's what i'm saying i don't think part two is going to be that long i think i mean say let's say really kind of explore characters yeah. a little bit more I, I'm, I'm thinking like a 90 minute movie for the second part but <laughs> who knows
2: i'm gonna
1: call it now i think it's gonna be two hours almost to the t that's what i'm well, they're gonna have I've, maybe set up
2: there's so much and there's like there's two characters they haven't introduced yet and I think Denis wants to do a trilogy with Dune Messiah. I think he wants to. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're only going to allow him to do Dune 1 and Dune 2. Um, And then that'll kind of be it. But yeah, I'm thinking about an hour and 45 minutes to two hours. Because based on the material, it's... And even Denis said this. He's like, we've got all the talking done. We've set up everything. Let's go have some fun with the camera. And I think that uh, it's going to be damn fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I saw that, and I'm excited. Um, and I can't wait to see exactly the Emperor was someone I kept thinking they talk about, and I'm excited to see uh, him make an appearance because, um, you know, Walking Phoenix would be really interesting because you have Gladiator where he played Commodus, so it's going to be like mm-hmm. a nice callback maybe to that. I don't know. Um, regardless, so I mentioned before, Dan, you said that Johnny Greenwood might steal the Oscar from Hans Zimmer. I think that this is one of the not most assured, knock on wood... I think this could be the year Hans Zimmer takes another is his second Oscar his much deserved second Oscar for this year in particular, because that score has been everyone talking. And if it's going to rake in some of the below the lines, I see that happening. But at this point, with how well that it's also doing at the box office in comparison for the pandemic that we're currently in right now and the day to date, as well as the fact that it's getting fantastic reviews and as well as capturing a cultural zeitgeist at the moment, I foresee this transpiring to like maybe. You know, um, this could easily get pictures, uh, uh, director, uh, adapted screenplay, depending on, you know, what some of their other competition is. Um am uh, about that, yeah. Depending on the competition that it lies behind it, you have uh, oh. cinematography, production design, costuming, score, sounds, visual effects, cinematography. Did I say that? Did I say something already? Twice.
2: Okay. twice. Then, then, then film, twice. film
1: editing. Film Except editing.
0: Production editing, yeah. So that's that's,
1: that's that is that is ten. I can see it in a day where it gets ten nominations. Truthfully,
0: and, um, and it legitimately deserves ten nominations. Of course, any acting nominations would be like a icing I on mean, top of a cake. Icing <laughs> on the top
1: of a cake, exactly. Yeah.
0: Which I don't see it getting in because there's so many great leading performances this year. But supporting, male and female supporting, is kind of you know, has It has not shaped up yet. Basically, the mass people you're talking about, the mass people, the Coda people. There's probably two or three slots right there in supporting, right? So then you got to say, okay, you got four spots left for the rest of the movies. Maybe somebody from Power of the Dog. A couple people yeah, from Power of the Dunst Dog
1: going supporting,
0: going support like Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, uh, uh, Cody Smith fee in Power of the Dog. Um, I mean, there's also you you gotta remember you got being the Ricardos, you got Oh yeah. So,
2: many... <laughs>
0: so you yep, don't have Bardem could sneak in for being the Ricardos and not Dune, but I, I'll tell you what, we never mentioned him. I I I liked what we did with him, and I want to see more of him in the second one. So I yes. can't wait for to see great. more of his character in the second one as well. But um 10 10 is a number that I strongly agree with Manning that this film not only deserves 10 nominations, it's almost assured that could get 10 any more than 10 is this. Wow. It's, it's yeah. on the scale of what uh uh, uh all about Eve. Uh, it happened one night yeah. uh, Lord of the Rings, the return of the King, some of these big Movies that really got a lot of nominations. What Titanic got a bunch of nominations. Mm-hmm. So because don't
1: forget, it would probably get eleven if we didn't combine sound.
0: So. Yeah, two sound. Yeah, two sound. That that stuff at the beginning. That the, the the the. Oh yeah, the <laughs> dreams are <laughs> messages
1: from the, from the deep. Dreams yeah. are messages from the deep. That's yeah. What? That was like damn.
0: That, what what is it? That's some interesting stuff. You know. But uh yeah, and it's definitely. Is. It, be shocked if it didn't get 10 but hey this you know who knows flea could get four that would be amazing that's Um, not talking about flea but no (laughs) job that flea could get four that would be shocking
1: so roman um uh, I had mentioned before when I was reaching out, like we were going to talk about the awards prospects for Dune. And of Denis Villeneuve with Arrival is no, um, 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 he is familiar with this entire world. So of the Oscars and awards chatter, even for BAFTA, he got a director nomination for Blade Runner 2049, which is still one of the coolest BAFTA nominations that I remember seeing. But for you personally, do you, how do you see this playing out with the critical acclaim that it is still currently getting?
2: it's kind of interesting because I I'm not as in tune with the awards this year as I have in the last like couple just because yeah. I work more now I work like almost 200 to 250 hours a month and mm. it's like one of those things where I'm I only watched 40 movies this year 40 new movies and I'm usually at about 90 right now I'm usually at about 95 to 100 and you know that's not bad. I mean, there's people out there watching 200, but you know, it's good for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good for them. And I'm very jealous that you have the time to do that. But when it comes to awards, I think that we're going to start reaching a point now where Denis has about 10 to 11 films under his belt. I mean, you look at some of the greats, you know, Spielberg, Scorsese, all these directors that have been nominated a lot in, in, you know, consideration every single year. I think Denis is reaching that point. I mean, you just look at Sicario and it kind of all started there where, oh, my God, this guy's just making movies that are perfect for award shows. You've got cin- cinematography nominations. You've got screenwriting nominations for Taylor Sheridan. You've got this, that and the other. And it's just one of those things where with this one, this might be sort of the big one for him that kind of pushes him into being in talks every single year. Just because, like you guys have mentioned, I can easily see 10, easily see 10. Will it get any acting nominations? Probably not. It's just it's not the type of movie. It's not really an acting vehicle. Everyone's great, but it's more of a showcase vehicle for all the special effects. And I think the script is great, too. I think the editing is off the charts good and probably the only reason the movie works. I would love to see that there. As for directing, I think. Look at what Christopher Nolan did with Dunkirk, and I think Denis Villeneuve should get A nomination for that reason alone just because of what he had to do what he had to bend over backwards for and i think you can just see the passion just the way he's talked about it the way he's fought for it the way he said that you shouldn't push this movie to streaming at day one just because you know you think it makes more sense there this movie should be seen in the theater the oscars value the theater going experience they love that stuff they love celebrating movies And Dune, if you really want to go that far, is kind of a celebration of what movies are capable of, on top of the fact that it has a smaller budget than a lot of these big movies that won't get a quarter of the nominations this will. Um, So I think this is just kind of set up for success and set up for preparing Denis for a decade where he might be in consideration for best director every single year or whenever he makes a movie. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not as in tune right now, so I can't really compare to, you know, Power of the Dog or. French dispatch or a lot of other movies that I'm really excited to see and want to see. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, I guess I'm pretty excited because I think it deserves every dollar, every set of eyes in the world and every nomination in the book.
1: Which I was going to quickly just add for um, if you look at gold Derby right now. um, Well, I had it on uh, latest odds. Here we go. Come on, work for me. Um, But if you look right now, just for Dune is currently still for odds is number five. Um, when it comes to getting best picture so that is still incredibly good um if you look at director oops, that's picture again see the the, the the app is different than the website so i'm not as in tune when it comes to that but if you look at actor um denny is currently number two um when it comes to possibility of getting nominated uh right below jane can't Camp, jane uh, uh, campion so
2: i think and that that is who do, what did she off. do Powered okay yeah i need to see that okay Netflix December okay
0: yep so
1: I'm excited for that Um. so there is a strong like push to get him because every year there usually is a technical film that manages to make it in upon you know the merit of its technical prowess um, trying to recall what was it last year Uh. would we have What was last year again I can't remember there wasn't one last year actually
0: there last wasn't, year was like, a such big, a blur no, no land, a technical achievement which in a way it is, but I, I mean, mean,
1: in a way it's different though. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah but, but there are, a, there wasn't really that was like one of the few exceptions. But there usually is a technical marvel of a film that gets a nominated, it never usually wins had like, uh, unless you we've count had
0: like uh, uh Mad Max Fury Road, we've had Black Panther, we've had yes, uh, in years past, uh, obviously The Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, Avatar. 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 Avatar, yep, good point. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um we've had you get those technical marvels, yeah and epic type story type things once in a while yeah
1: they'll like be like hey here's your nomination dunkirk i think as you said roman is equivalent to Vaswell too but yeah. looking back i think this is very close to lord of the rings in the sense of like here's all these texts none of the actors are going to get it but look out for sag ensemble i can see this getting a sag ensemble nomination yes 100 percent which it would be very deserving. I think because oh, yeah. everyone I, brings their a game, even in like the little bits that they're in it.
2: Um, is there another cast this year outside of French dispatch, which always has like the biggest cast of the year or whenever well, Wes Anderson movies come out. Is there yeah. another one that really kind of competes on this? It's like
0: not going to be biggest cast, but it's like mass has got four people that mass has gotten great. Uh, give a okay. phenomenal performances. Coda has got a very nice, ensemble of people in that that work well together that is a nice little ensemble um uh uh, uh look up or what what's it uh, don't look up don't look up mm. it's gonna have a crazy cast that the that's, McK- that's, that's the hit. mckay that's movie right that's yep. yeah, oh, it's about the media it's like him. my
2: arch nemesis right now i can not stand that guy
0: <laughs> <laughs> i and remember okay? you oh, wow. yeah so that's kind um, of crazy cast uh don't look up those um what else is there out there? I mean, it's a nice ensemble power of the dog with about five people, but.
1: Um, well, what, like uh, the big power. one, the power of the dog, you have less uh, house of Gucci. That could be yeah. one that really comes in. We don't know. Um, Nightmare alley. That's another, yeah. one, that's another one. Another From, uh, one yeah. Del Toro. Uh, Belfast. That's another one. Yeah. But when it comes yeah. to just size, like Dune is the biggest, I think is the biggest one when it comes to just the sheer size of the, you know, of the performance of the cast. Um, like yeah. they do great work. And I don't think, I don't think Doom would win if they got SAG Ensemble nomination. But the fact that to me, this is when the nomination of SAG Ensemble itself would be deserving.
0: Well, they do like to give SAG Ensemble to a cast if there's a bunch of people on the cast that haven't got a SAG. And they're like, oh, Jason Samoa, he don't have one. Uh, Dave Batista, he don't have one. Rebecca Ferguson, she don't have one. Jo- well, Josh borland has got one. We know that because uh, yes. of uh, No Country for Old Men. But uh, a lot of the people, Stellan Skargar, he probably don't have one. They love giving it to a, a cast like that. If, like, the majority of the cast don't have a SAG, then they could say, oh, Stellan Skargar won a stack for blah, blah, blah. Josh Brolin won two SAGs, So they do like doing that if it's a cast that has a bunch of people and majority of them haven't won because so looking now. Stars, which last year? A lot of big name stars. Yeah,
1: you know, last year was Trial of the Chicago Seven. Year before that was Parasite. Year before that Black Panther. Year before that Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Hmm. Uh, year before that Hidden Figures. Year before that Spotlight. Year before look that Birdman. Look
0: at the, look so at the they cast are, on some of those movies. Yeah. A lot of people that maybe hadn't had won a sag, but now like Trial of the Chicago Seven. Look at that cast. That yeah. was a big cast. I think it was the big, biggest cast. Big cast. Um, you know, they love giving it sometimes to the biggest cast. And if Dune is... if Look, if French Dispatch drops off, I I predict Dune getting in there and maybe pulling that out. Well, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to win Best Picture.
2: I feel oh, like no. that movie's getting buried right now because I yeah. people are seeing it and I was like, that came out? Like, I can see, I can go to like, I can drive like 45 minutes to go see it, but I had no idea. And then there's no showings anywhere near me anytime soon. And it's like, I feel like that movie's getting buried. And that's Fox, right? Searchlight. Yep. Searchlight. And that's getting buried by Disney because they have them them now, right?
0: Yeah, technically. Searchlight's got, um, what else do they got? They got
1: uh... something else, don't they?
0: Yeah, and I think they're gonna push something there's something else that they're pushing, if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on it, but um I can't think and of check. I I can't <laughs> think of what it is right now, but
2: I'm kinda of shocked it's just getting buried because I wanna see it. You know, well, I, I haven't on seen on a Wes Anderson can. movie. Oh no, I saw I the Dogs on the big screen.
0: It's, it's coming wow. out of can and and it didn't do that great coming out of can. And that's when people started talking, well, it's not as good as people think it's it's west anderson if you're a west anderson fan but it's not as good so there's they started talking about other things so that's the reason why you're not getting a lot okay. of and it's an artsy fartsy kind of art house movie so it might not <laughs> be playing in a lot of big name theaters. oh
1: nightmare alley nightmare um, alley
0: that's it okay. i knew there was something i just could put my finger on it yeah they're gonna push nightmare alley fox searchlight is um
1: or The Eyes of Tammy Faye. They got that for actress. So. Oh, yeah,
0: that's definitely... It's not... And I don't mean Fox Searchlight. I mean Searchlight, Searchlight Pictures.
1: Yeah, now. they changed. I forgot about that. You can't um, put Fox yeah. in any of these. No, we can't. Yeah, they can't. It's just 20th Century Studios. Still so weird. Yeah. Oh, dear. Monopoly. That was a game that we played, right? Now it's just reality. <laughs> um... Yeah, that's kind of like what we expect. At this point, I think Tin. I think we're all in kind of agreement. I think Tin would be the case because, like the Lord of the Rings, there is an uns- a great uh, fantastical ensemble that do great work, and that there's no singular uh, individual, unless like Ian McKellen. But that's like that was Gandalf, and I think that was just like a, 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 not a fluke, but a one time thing.
2: Yeah,
0: um,
1: I would be. Sh- I would be again. I think if it's anyone, we I think we're all want. in agreement. Rebecca Ferguson. You.
2: I agree. I, I think Rebecca Robin. Ferguson would probably be the only one
1: yeah and supporting act. if she goes supporting actress because again that 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 it's kind of not a weak. it's not weak but it hasn't formed it's still very much up in the air about what in the world's going on with supporting actress. so she could if they like the movie enough but i don't see that happening but i see hans zimmer really pulling through personally uh just because they know they love the guy and it's they want to give it something besides maybe like a sound because that's also some fantastic sound like
2: yeah mm.
0: i mean johnny greenwood would have to have two incredible I mean incredible scores yep. to knock out Hans Zimmer but agreed we've seen it happen before with uh you know desplat had two one year um, yeah
1: but I, I don't think that will transpire because most most namely because it's hot it's the, the I just I just feel like there is a there is a resounding like love for like we want to get you a second Oscar Hans Zimmer because yeah. he is just a one of the hardest workers in all of the you know hollywood at the moment when it comes to you know just composers
2: yeah i mean look what he did with interstellar and dunkirk i mean two scores that i think probably like some of the best ever um and yeah i think with dune too i think it's just gonna be one of those like hey it's been a while um i think you've you've earned this uh now obviously if johnny greenwood comes in who is extremely underrated and, and very very good um Yeah, I just think it's kind of Hans Zimmer's ear. And outside of all the big technical stuff that it'll probably win, I think it it should nab score as a for sure victory and then set him up for major success in part two.
0: Well, I'll tell you Mm -hmm. something, too. I want to. I know this is like being a kind of a contrarian here, but think about if Dune had come out last year. Be honest. Okay, be honest, guys. Is Dune the far and away? Front runner wins everything last year. Be honest, just, I mean, obviously, score it beats land Score, Hans Zimmer wins there. Um, visual effects, cinematography, probably knocks out Land in cinematography, set production. I'm telling you guys, was it, this a mistake? Or, no, we're keeping it right there on December
1: 25th. No, um, because the theaters were closed. There was no way for them to be able to view it, and with the pandemic, we were oh, in HBO Max. I still don't think I think, I don't think
2: uh, I, yeah, I played it at home as soon as I got home. I, I was like, Oh man, I just kind of want to just turn it on just to kind of like
1: watch
2: it at home. It, it's great, and I have a nice setup a 50 inch 4K TV with I a nice, you know, sound bar. And I have a nice setup, I got nothing glaring, it's perfect, but yeah. it's not the same. It is 100% not the same. I was sitting in that theater and I said this is the way it was meant to be seen and wow, I can feel absolutely. it. And I think if they released it last year and, you know, with HBO Max, I just don't think it would have done the same. I just really think no. that having the impact of sitting, you know, whether you're in the center or far up or close to the screen being just completely towered over by this behemoth of a movie, um, it just doesn't, doesn't work the same. So I don't think we would have got, you know, like a sweep or anything. Up.
0: I just think it cleans up last year. That's just my opinion. But see, manning.
1: I don't, th- I, I don't, I think, well, because again, you have something like Mank, which was only almost exclusively on Netflix last year. Yep. I don't, I don't, I don't know.
2: Oh, Not a Mank us, fan, tell sorry. Us
1: you, <laughs> tell us how you feel, poor Fincher. Because um, I know you love Fincher, too. Um, oh, yeah. So Just, interesting. Yeah. Um, I... I don't think this would clean up merely because I think the hype was, has been building for so long. There are all the factors are coming together right now for it to hit perfectly. There's some like we want you to succeed. The theaters are back. There's a narrative forming around it. I don't think it would have. I think it would have got some technical achievements. I don't think it would have taken any of the top prizes. Remember? I don't think Dune's gonna take the top prizes. We only got but eight. I could last be wrong, year, manny. We only got eight. That's true.
0: <laughs> think about that, man. We only got eight last year. He had two more spots.
1: Although that's the, the, that's only if like we get, what was, who's the person before the the current guy? Dave Rubin? I get 5% of the
0: vote.
1: It's possible. It's just, I think all the factors are coming in right now, right when they need to be. And with that, they're coming in. But I do think, I don't think it would have gotten shut out. No way. I think no matter when this would have come out, I think that, although Denis Villeneuve was like adamant, like, I'm not gonna, we're not releasing this unless I can get it in theaters. And he would not have gotten it in theaters last year, truthfully, because, again like they released tenant in theaters and then the second wave hit and then like well that's the last movie we're going to see in theaters again for a while which yeah
2: and seeing yeah. that in theaters was awesome because it was yeah. me myself and i it was nobody else
0: no one yeah. else oh wow yeah, yeah i mean it was great. It was a fun I experience dolby. i saw it in dolby and i was like damn this movie is good that soundtrack was just hit you over the head you know yeah. ahead, you know but, all right that's fine that's an honest you guys Give your honest opinion about that. I just figured that question had to be kind of asked in a way. That's
2: yeah. fair. Yeah. It's a strong point. Yeah. And Hollywood loves a good narrative. And kind of like Manning said, this is, yeah, it's kind of the narrative is building right now where Denis is sort of falling into Sor- Scorsese's territory about certain opinions about the theater going experience. And people are talking about him positively, negatively. And everything's sort of just building to this big event. And I, The fact that it's probably going to hit 40 million, it seems like at this point, and then once we get the HBO Max numbers, like usually what around midweek towards the end of the week, I think we're going to see something surprising and overwhelming and everyone's going to be like, yeah, this was a real deal. And I think people are going to want to go back and bring their friends and be like, oh, you love Star Wars. This is like that kind of weird. Let's go see it. And then they're going to see it (laughs) and they're going to love it. So.
1: And I think I'm that's going to. We're gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm calling it now. By this time next week, because this comes up on Tuesdays, um, I believe that we are going to by this time next week. So that by next Tuesday, not this coming Tuesday, but next Tuesday when this falling, you know what I mean. <laughs> we're gonna have an announcement about the sequel. I truly believe that they're gonna be like, yeah. hey, because Denny's been talking like there's going to be one, and I don't think they're gonna back out on him from doing that. I think they they're can't. gonna be like, hey, we want to do this. And I think they're going to be happy enough to be like, hey, we want a second one. We'll see how the second one goes before we announce it. We're going to do another one. Um, But I think we're going to get that sooner than you
0: think, guys. Yeah, Yeah. and And Warner Warner Brothers,
2: Brothers, for their their
0: history. Yeah, go ahead. Legendary, legendary, okay. Legendary, yes. Re-upped and made a new deal. And they're not with Warner Brothers anymore. They're with Universal. So, and Nolan's a legendary guy. Bill news a legendary guy, I believe. Uh, who else is yeah. in that legendary group? There's like six, six or seven major, big-time directors are in that group. I can't remember all of them, but I can't or is any. it just properties? Does legendary acquire properties and they pick directors to direct the properties, or I, or is it, I thought they had like contracts with big like Bill news I don't think they no, have
1: contracts with. The studios, well, Nolan does. Nolan did. I or maybe it wasn't a contract. Maybe it was more like, "Hey, we work well together. I want to keep working with you." But I don't know if it's a contractual because I know not, not every director has contracts with studios. I think it so depends I mean on how big is, of a director you are.
0: I think Legendary is a is a production company that it specifically is. had contracts with like Villeneuve, Nolan, a couple other big name, That's and all question. their movies came out under the Legendary banner, which then was distributed by Warner brother. Now though, it's going to be universal, so could universal pick up the sequel to Dune with Bill noob attached since they are attached with Legendary now. That's the kind of a, interesting. Um... Is Warner brothers like out of the picture?
1: i'm well right now i'm trying to figure i'm I'm looking this up at the moment
0: as we speak um yeah so that's i think legendary was formed with like like four or five or six like major big time like nolan bill a couple others if i'm not mistaken i completely wrong
1: well well from what it looks like right now what they have in development for in development from legendary pictures they are um they they have they have like certain films um when, like Some of those distributors are Netflix, some of them are Warner Brothers, some of them are Universal. Uh, some of it is, um, 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 well, actually, it just looks like Universal, um, Focus Features, Warner Brothers, and Netflix. The four of those are the only ones that I see so far that look like they've worked with in the past. And they seem to work with different ones. Uh, obviously, Warner Brothers, it looks like, this has been their main one they've worked with. But they've you know, they've worked with Universal in the past before, it seems like
0: have they okay i would have yeah. thought they were under contract with distribution with Warner brothers until now with this whole pissing contest with nolan <laughs> and them um, and denny and villeneuve and them and wb that they that they moved to um, universal but i you know i
1: no they they've done they have done uh with uh um universal they've done dracula untold with uh, uh, Universal. They've done uh, Seventh Son with Universal. Oof. Uh, they did Black Hat with Universal. Um, yeah, so And they did Steve Jobs with Universal. They've done Crimson Peak. They've done Straight Outta Compton. So Good. they've done some stuff with Universal in the past for Legendary. So I think okay. they're mostly with Warner Brothers, but they've done some stuff with Universal, it looks right. like. But that's, again, this is Wikipedia, so yeah. they could be wrong. We don't know.
0: Yeah,
1: Okay. Um, but Anyway, we're going to wrap up right now because I was going to do an hour 30. This turned into two hours. So, of course, it always goes over. Always um, goes
2: over when I'm involved. Trust me. It always goes Every over. Every single podcast I'm on, it always goes hey, over.
1: Hey, that is okay. I'm glad we had the time with you, Roman. Uh,
0: but before we go out, uh, Dan, first off, where can the people find you? You can find me at DisappointmentMedia.com where I'm a film critic uh, in the Orlando, Florida area. Um also, my name, Dan Skip Allen, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Uh, I do some YouTube shows. They're on hiatus right now. We'll be back in the spring, probably early next year. Uh, you know, just, just reviewing movies. I got a big one this week. I can't wait. I can't say anything about it. I got Monday. Monday cannot get here soon enough.
1: Oh, I'm excited to hear what that is. And then, Roman, where can they find you?
2: Uh, You can find me at RBC Roman on Twitter. That's A-R-B as in boy, I-S-I-R-O-M-A-N. As well as my blog, Showtime with Roman movie blog. Um, You can find my review for Dune there um, in detail. And it's pretty good. Sometimes I read some stuff back to myself. I'm like, man, I did not go to college for this. And I turned out pretty all right. Um, As well as my essay that I wrote about Denis Villeneuve. It's something I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Uh, I did a video essay on Christopher Nolan before, um, I did a essay on Damien Chazelle before and his three big movies, and then now I've kind of concluded that with uh, Denis, and it's kind of been leading up to this, and I am very, very, very proud of uh, what I managed to do and just putting it together within a couple days and just uh, kind of expelling my love for a filmmaker that's just done a lot for me over the years and how I can't wait to see what he does next every single time. Uh, If someone land me on an interview with that guy and I'll pay you lots of money. uh, I'll be very happy. So (laughs) I'll pay um, you
1: for the interview. Basically. Yeah.
2: It's um, it's something that, uh, yeah, I just love doing. And so I'm going to continue working towards that and uh, hopefully it pays off eventually. But other than that, Thanks for having me on. Of course, I love podcasting. I haven't been able to do it as much. I have my own podcast, the film drafters podcast with Caleb and Qantas. We uh, do like fantasy style. football draft but with like movie topics so this week we have our favorite horror movies next month we have oscar movies christmas movies uh we had recently we had what movie horror movie would you like to see paddington in um so we just do lots of crazy topics and it's a lot of fun and i love doing that with those guys every week so we're recording um tomorrow so yeah film drafters podcast everywhere you can find podcasts so that's it
1: it's awesome and again thank you mr roman rbc for joining us here today of course. Uh, you can find me on twitter at cine underscore man that's c-i-n-e underscore m-a-n-n as well as here uh hosting gone with the win where you can find us on apple podcast on spotify on anchor literally any different place that you can find a podcast you can listen to gone with the win here um and of course uh go check out roman's uh, uh article in regards to Borders, um, Geneva News is an excellent filmmaker and he's just making me appreciate the man even more. Uh, <laughs> a great find we have in this man, and I'm so glad he's got to create the films that he's wanted to create. Um, uh, but again, thank you, Roman, and um, of yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We will see you <laughs> next time when we actively we're getting into the Oscar season. Like by next week, we'll slowly get into well, no, in two weeks, I guess, November will be right around the corner and we will be in the oscar season in the hunt and i'm excited to see what's transpiring um mm, i just want sorry. dune part 2 right now so um uh i'm putting that out retweet. into the world Ret- retweet <laughs> <laughs> yeah retweet I want, now. <laughs> I want that now thank you and uh we'll see you all the movies